Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One of the best genres of rugby player for me is fictional ones. Is this not how we started the last episode? <laughs> you realise now this is how we started the last episode. No, I like rugby players that aren't real. Like okay. um, Toby pa- Flood. Patrice Le Oh, okay. Toby yeah. Flood. Yeah, he isn't real, is he? No, he's not um, real. He's not real. Molly Scuffle McCabe, I'm Molly convinced, McCabe is not a real person. Bradley Roberts was generated by Rugby Challenge. Yeah. Somehow manifested into the real world. Yeah. Do you remember Johnny Hines? I do remember Johnny Hines. Sir Johnny Hines, yeah. as we eventually... On his, our seventh time signing him on career mode in Rugby Challenge because he was the cheapest player. It was made up, obviously. Like, he was a Portuguese prop who wasn't real, who was the cheapest player you could sign. And we signed him on every career so we could afford, like... Bowden Barrett. Because you need the else. minimum number of players in your squad at yes. any time. So we use him as a salary saver. And then after signing like seven times on seven different careers, we just decided to change his name on the default programme to be called Sir Johnny Hines. We just knighted him. As he deserved to be. And we gave him one game a season. Yeah. Because we, we always trundle won. out. Yeah. yeah. And we thought he was a good lad before he turning up. Come in, Sir Johnny Hines. Yeah. Just like brought in as a good lad, you know. Yeah, he was a good lad. Did a lot of like extras, you know, was always there, hard work and training. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Gave everything to the club. It makes you deserve a knighthood any day of the week. Absolutely, absolutely. Can't possibly argue more. So, two of my favourite fictional rugby players came up in England's previous game. Okay. And I am, of course, talking about Lawrence Delalio and Josh Lucy. <laughs> um, no. I thought... What we needed, more than anything, was an update on how my favourite fictional rugby players were going, alongside the real England players that are playing in this game, such as, I'm going to name you some real England rugby players, right? All right. Very quick quiz, right? Is this a real England rugby player or not? Mm-hmm. Okay. Ollie Barkley. Yeah, he's real. Yeah, he's real. Nick Easter. Yep, real. Yeah, he's real. Nick September. No, that's that's a made-up rugby player. I made him up. Steve Borthwick. That's a real rugby player. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Ben M. No, no. No, it's like Ben K, isn't it? George Shooter. Yes, that's correct. George Stabber. No, that's George not George Puncher. No, I George Chopper. I've been looking at George all the George Slapper. Yeah, he's real. George Slapper, yeah. He played 91. George Lapper, yeah. yeah, went to the lines for really everything. excited to see George Slapper play, actually. Yeah. I've heard a lot about him. Yeah. yeah. Really, really mild-mannered, calm-tempered guy, yeah, by yeah. all accounts. Played fly-off with Yeah, I don't really know. What was it about George Slapper? Yeah. But, yeah, reputation preceded them. Yeah, he kept um, Rob Andrew out of the lines. Yeah, well. brief spell writing for the Telegraph as well. Yeah. Before going up to cover golf instead. Which I wonder if some other telegraph journalists might be interested in doing. Uh that's the Times I'm thinking of. Andrew Sheridan. <laughs> yeah, he's real. What yeah. are you doing this for? Uh Lee Mears? Yeah, he sells crisp now. <laughs> he sells like, crisp. I don't know if he's a rugby player. How much he sell them for? Definitely sells crisp for eleven P each. Thank you. <laughs> My two Okay. Let's do two more. Let's do two okay. more. Matt Tate. He's real. Matthew Tate, you're thinking of, yes. Oh, I will right. give it to yeah. you. And <laughs> you dick. 
Jack. Jack? Yes. <laughs> yes, Jack's... Well, it depends if, how you define real. Mm. But I think that the love between him and Maria was definitely, most definitely real. I thought it was time. We check in again. Okay, see how Jack's <laughs> getting on with Maria. I asked Jack and Maria... Well, I asked the entity that controls Jack and Maria... <laughs> yes. ...to perhaps give us an update on what happened to them during the rugby match between England and Tonga, which they watched, of course, from the stands. Because okay. neither of them played they weren't in this picked, game. Were they? they weren't picked, no, they? weren't picked. No, we'll get onto the team they, sheets, but Jack wasn't on there. After they abandoned the game yeah. in order to have intercourse. <laughs> I think it's fair enough that Brian yeah. Ashton was like, you know, you're not on the roster for the next game. Somewhere. So I went, you know, Jack and Maria, they're madly in love. They're in the stands watching England versus Tonga in 2007. Okay? Yeah. Jack and Maria <laughs> had been together for a year. Oh. They were madly in love. And on this particular rugby game day, they decided to take advantage of their surroundings and indulge in their passions. <laughs> Hang on, wait. A year has passed since the game against Yeah, since the game Samoa. against Samoa. Yeah. So we're now in the midst of September 2008, when this game from the 2007 Rugby World yeah, Cup is taking place. but it is place. this game. It is this game. I asked them for this English song from the 2007 Rugby yeah, World Cup, right? okay. Yeah. And it's, it's going to come back. a year has passed yeah. in the 10 days between these games. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> The match taking place directly in front of them was England versus Tonga. Okay. It promised to be an intense match. And as the game kicked off, Jack and Maria couldn't take their eyes off the players on the pitch. Oh, okay. Okay, they're really into the rugby this time. <laughs> like the rugby. But the game soon... <laughs> oh, gee, Jack, Maria. The game soon became a backdrop for what was about to take place. Oh, no. Okay. It wasn't long before a passionate affair began in the stands. What? <laughs> with Jack and Maria kissing each other with a textured intensity <laughs> mm. that quickly turned into a sexy and daring display of bodily desire. <laughs> with spectators around them completely unaware. <laughs> Jack and Maria got down and dirty. Oh no! <laughs> At least the spectators were unaware that this was Unaware, unaware. The intensity of the rugby match quickly took a backseat to the primal lust that was taking place in the stands. <laughs> that suggests the rest of the crowd then turned around <laughs> instead. I just, I just imagine like owls, their heads all turned yeah. perfectly 180 <laughs> degrees. sitting still. <laughs> Take their like eyes off Johnny Wilkinson Amsterdam for a sex show happening with Johnny Wilkinson <laughs> in the background attempting a drop goal. With the stands shaking from the thunderous roars of the crowd and the game being played inches away. <laughs> so they're on the front row. And they're right down. So you've got like Lee Mears throwing into a line out. And in the background just copulating. Peering over his shoulder. Jack and Maria gave in to their cardinal desires. <laughs> they made passionate love with each other. With their movements and moans echoing above <laughs> the screams and shouts of the fans. <laughs> above... They were louder than the cheers. They were drowning out Swing Low Sweet Chariots. There were 45,085 people at this game. 45,083 of them were getting drowned out by Jack and Maria's (laughs) very loud sexual intercourse. Okay, there's a second part to this. Oh, I'm dreading this. I'm going to leave the second part for later in the podcast, I feel. Okay, so... When you say that you're going to do that, mm. who are you? 
in all I'm of this. I'm Robbie or Squidge or whatever you want to call me. Okay. I am not Jack, nor my Maria. Okay. You should not expect any of that kind of filthy nonsense on no, this podcast. This is a safe for work this podcast. This is, to borrow a phrase, not a horny podcast. <laughs> no. <laughs> and yes. Is that phrase about us specifically? It can be. It can yeah, be. Okay, I've okay. borrowed it from a different podcast. Someone's, someone's reviewed fine. that. About- yeah. Yeah, saying we're not a horny podcast. Yeah, I think they should leave that in the iTunes reviews saying not a horny podcast. Yeah, yeah, if you're listening to that, do that now. Yeah, because it's not a horny podcast. No. Like, you know, Steve Walsh hasn't refereed that many games. No. When Jack and Maria get involved, you have to make exceptions. But, sure, you know. sure, sure. And tell you what, we might make another exception today because it's a hot and steamy game, by which I mean Alan Rowland is refereeing. Oh, Christ, yeah. Yeah. By the way, thanks for asking who I was. Oh, who are you? I'm the rugby fairy. Cool. Thanks, rugby fairy. Is that like a social media thing? No. Nope. Like a like a Twitter account that posts nope. like gifts. I'm the rugby of, like, fairy. You post like gifts of Fran Stain doing the thumbs up, and you're like respect for this man, and it says the rugby fairy next to it. No, oh, that's not me. I'm, no, that's not you. I'm just okay. the rugby fairy, and right. sometimes <laughs> when it's your anniversary of the first day that you ever watch rugby mm. on each year, if you look under your pillow. You can lift it up and go, oh, oh, it's rugby. And in there, there will be some people playing rugby, throwing a ball around. Just Sorry, you'll leave people playing rugby under people's pillows? Uh-huh, yeah. Full-sized people, small people. What do you mean full-sized people? How do you define a full-sized person? What? Okay, 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 okay. Are like we six talking... foot five? Yeah, sure. Okay, <laughs> So you're leaving people who are unanimously six foot five. No, no, I'm just full size people on on the anniversary of them watching rugby for the first time. Uh-huh. Yes. Do you have a spreadsheet of this? No. Why would I keep a spreadsheet? I just remember because I'm magical. Okay, okay, okay. When was the first time I watched rugby? The first time you watched rugby? Yes. It was in. Uh, I, well, the the time that I used for you is uh, in 2004 when you went to watch Wales against Japan. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. Also internationals. Okay. okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, what date was that? Uh, it was like November. <laughs> sure, you don't need a spreadsheet. Nah, I don't need a spreadsheet, pal. Cool. It's, it's it's a long way away. I don't need to check it at the moment. You know, sure. It's I got my immediate memory. Uh, Ramil Geisen, when would his be? Oh, his his was quite a long time ago, actually. <laughs> He's probably like twenty four. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do get confused on him because of his hairline. However, I would say February. February, just yeah. generally just February. February, yeah. Just every day in February, me guys and like the Six Nations, like, like ten six foot five people doing physical uh-huh. activities under his pillow. Correct. Right. Okay. Yeah. That is that is largely like the Russian military invasion going on at the minute. Yeah. yeah. Going and on. ten is usually um, the number of people that play rugby. Uh, yeah. In rugby tens. Yeah. In rugby tens. Exactly. Well, yeah. Because you twenty. Really. No, you only play one side. <laughs> oh, rugby dear. doesn't have two teams. It's true. I thought you'd know this is the rugby fair. Yeah. I should. I should really revise. You should go back to posting gifts. Gifts. All right. And gifts. We've just you met, do post mate. gifts. I do post gifts, yeah. which is the gift of rugby. They get under, so do you deliver them by hand? I can't under really reveal my secrets on that. Right, okay. But you don't like put them in the post? Uh, the, the rugby posts. The rugby posts. Yeah, yes. I, I kick them through the posts, yes. Excellent, okay. That's good. And then yes. they just sort of arrive. Yes. What if you miss? What if they come up back off the post? Then I'll, I'll go again. You'll go again. Give another go. Cool, okay. Yeah. Just keep booting these massive men. Into pillows. I'm booting memories. You're booting aren't we all? Yeah. Here to reboot a memory of the 2007 Rugby World Cup yes. is us. Yes. So, um, <laughs> the game today is England 36, Tonga 20. A truly remarkable and memorable match from the history 
of days gone by of the Rugby World Cup. It's a game of rugby. I mean, the last few games, and mm. it's mental that I'm still talking about this as a concept, there's been a thing that's happened on the commentary of each game mm. where they've gone, oh, it's bloody both teams World Cup final, innit? You know, it's both teams World Cup final because we've had like Canada playing Japan mm. and Namibia playing Georgia and so on. And it's been one of those things where it's both teams' opportunity to win a game at this Rugby World Cup. Yeah. I did not expect that they would use the exact same line again here for England versus Tonga. I know. Especially when England didn't make the Rugby World Cup final in this tournament. That's it. They say the atmosphere is like a World Cup final. Then they go, well, for England, it is. And then they go, oh, for Tonga it is as well, actually. <laughs> like, they're yeah, doing that as yeah. well. And once again, like it's the same dumb commentary team that have had all the yeah. games throughout this tournament. And I'll tell you what, in this game... To give myself some credit, I did a really good job of just tuning it out because, like, we've cracked the code that they've had the brief of just, like, talk really negatively about everything England do. Mm. And, you know, whenever they do literally anything, even if it's score, just talk about how shit it was. And, like, and I think once you've kind of taught yourself, oh, right, they're doing this deliberately, like, yeah. to try and stir a reaction, you, it's a lot easier to just go, right, okay, these guys are just morons and yeah. tune it out rather than getting angry at it. So I managed to not get that angry at the comms this yeah, time. Yeah, they weren't good. No, of we'll be honest. Not. They weren't. They weren't good. Yeah, but the brief of just talking negatively about literally everything the world champions is doing just isn't yeah. really healthy. And like, I get it as a narrative. I get mm. they're kind of leaning into the whole England is shit. Let's talk about that. And they are shit. Is the thing they are. They're so shit. But there's this like complete unwillingness to see when they do good things. Yeah, and this like. Well, either they need to be playing the most negative 2003 style rugby and drop clicking everything, or they need to be playing like expansive bloody sex Fiji rugby. Yeah. And they're not doing either of those things. Jack and Maria are taking all of that up on their own. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of becomes this like, well, they're sort of somewhere in the middle. And yes, maybe they should be committed to a start, but also they're bloody winning their games, aren't they? They got howled by South Africa, but otherwise they have won their games with bonus points. Yeah, exactly. And thing is, when people have always said to me in past, like, the England team of 2007 or the shittest team to ever reach a World Cup semi-final or final yes. or whatever. I've always thought, okay, but it can't have been that bad. But watching these four games back, they are so shit. Honest they to are, God. They are so much worse than France of 2011. Yes. France of 2011. Oh God, just, France of 2011. Just like, they've just had a corrupt coaching team, essentially. They were a good team who were managed by a maniac. Yeah, exactly. And they lost that game to Tonga. Yeah. And they had a few kind of scares where they just kicked into gear with 20 minutes to go. Mm. Whereas... With England, like they're playing shit rugby consistently, yeah. and this is probably, by the way, the best game they play. Yeah. And yet, even when they're scoring tries, the bits in between are mostly quite terrible. Yeah. So I've said this before, right? But I think it's not entirely unrealistic that Wales kind of tie alongside England as the worst team to ever make a World Cup final this year mm. because of how easy their draw is and how easy it would be to just Warren Ball the hell out of it. Yeah. Like every team they need to beat is a team that we know Warren Ball could work against potentially other than they could get France or New Zealand in the, yeah. um, the semi-finals. But like they could get to the semi-final just by like playing negative, kicking horrible rugby. But still that would be like they chose a tactic and they lent into it. Yeah. And no one criticised the Springboks 
for doing that. And obviously it'd be to a greater extent because they would need to do that against Portugal as well. Portugal but, like, who are going to beat Wales. Who are going to beat Wales by at least four tries. Yeah. However... And I'm not joking. I think Portugal will I beat Wales. I think this England yes. team are bad at everything they try. It's not even that they've chosen a negative style yeah. that's kind of limited themselves. They're just they're just a bad rugby team. How many and times does Sione Tuopolotu take a mark in this game because their kicking is that aimless? Yeah. I mean, it's... Unless it's Wilkinson. Well, this is the thing. We'll get onto it as we go, but like... There are maybe 13 players who are basically hopeless yeah. in this team, in that yeah. starting 15. And even if they're it's good players, grim, isn't they're it? playing just nothing rugby. You yeah. Know? And yeah, as you say, there's, there's a couple of players who clearly are using their initiative a little bit better than the rest of the team are. And maybe that is a thing that will improve as time goes on because there is a genuine... They play so much better here than they did against the USA, for instance, mm. just because yeah, occasionally they do... Just I mean, do I think, something. Yeah, from sort of half an hour-ish onwards, maybe they do. Yeah. The first half, England are just bad. Yeah, yeah. It's been set up as this World Cup final type thing. Yeah. And also, on the flip side of what we were saying a minute ago, kind of praise the ITV punditry we've got mm-hmm. going on here. They really treat Tonga as a superpower. They which do. They, are. they do. They do. You know, you're right. Yeah. Like, this is a, a hugely stacked Tongan team. And every single... This is Tonga's last game of this Rugby World Cup. Unless they beat England, of course. Mm. So whoever wins this game goes through to the quarterfinals. And the other one is out. Is going home. Is done. Finished. It's a round of 16 game, essentially. Essentially it is, yes. It is set up like that. Mm. And also, as we look at the teams, which we shall now do... Mm. They're not that far apart from each other. Like, they're relatively evenly matched. In terms of raw quality, there's a big jump between Tonga's best player and England's best player. Yes. In terms of the average of, like, the average of their side, if you take... Across the board. The two or three best and worst players out of the team, Mm. their teams are virtually identical in terms of quality. Yeah. Should we start with England? Because we've spoken about them a little bit. So, I mean, this is a series of choices that are made by Brian Ashton, the coach. Johnny Wilkinson keeps his place at 10. Yeah. Grand. Good. Good work. Andy Gomesol partners him at 9. Yeah. And Ollie Barkley moves in on the other side to come and play 12. I'll tell you what. So, I'll just spoil this now. Andy Gomesol, I looked at and thought, that's a choice. Yeah. Okay. First half, I thought he played really well. And I was like, oh, right, okay, I see I see the benefits of Andy Gomesol now. Like, there's this brilliant box kick he puts up that uh, Mark Cueto slaps mm. down and Ollie Barkley weirdly makes a break and then gets turned over off it. And they make like a, you know, even though they get turned over, they make a good like 50 metres off that yeah, box yeah. kick. And there's a couple of moments like that where I look at Gomesol and go like, oh, I can see what you're trying to do here. Then he has a bit of a mare in the second half because Tonga start putting loads of pressure on him and really trying to hassle him. But yeah, with Gomesol, I kind of looked mm. at that and thought, it's a choice, but actually I can see that as time goes on, especially in the first half. Like, I can see the, the value mm. in Gomesol. Ollie Barkley, however... I'm like, I remember liking Ollie Barkley as a player. I've talked about this before, player. but like, he is very bad in this World Cup as general, and I think this is his weakest game. It's not a good showing from him. No. I think, I think he was a really, really good club player, mm. and... I really liked him at the time, yeah. But at this World Cup, I think there's a lot of pressure thrust on him by England and also the media yeah. are really yeah. expecting loads of him because they go, oh, well, he's the opposite of Johnny Wilkinson. He runs the ball and, you know, will provide a different access, something mm. different. And it's just not really the case. Yeah, I mean, he's been hyped up as both the next Wilkinson and the anti-Wilkinson. Yeah. So he's having to be two players at once and he's having an enormous amount of pressure on him because, as we talked about... 
no player's ever been under the level of pressure that Johnny Wilkinson was yeah. at this point. Marcus Smith got the closest, I think, in 2022. Like, Correct. In the time of watching rugby, no player got hyped up in the UK as much as Marcus Smith did yeah. that year in 2022. Yeah. Around that Six Nations, when he first came in as first choice for England. And the media was just insane around him. No player's got anywhere close to Wilkinson, though. Like, we're still looking at Smith being maybe like, 10% of what Wilkinson went through. Yeah. For his whole career as well. Yeah. Like with Mark Smith, it's died down a little bit. Yeah. Like, Owen Farrell at the start of his career had all those comments like, oh, he's the next Johnny Wilkinson. And it was kind of a fair comment. Yeah. And he just rode through that straight away. Nobody's hyped him up since to an almost detrimental to, level. To the point in which people are now like, oh, Owen Farrell was shit. And it is the worst take in rugby. It really I lose is. He's one of the best all interest in, in listening to people when they say that. Yeah. He is just an unbelievable athlete competitor rugby player yeah. all round rugby player fly off centre everything yes yeah he could play anywhere like you could put him on the wing and he'd do a good job you know yeah. he, he's class yeah he's class. but that's beside the point right yeah point is Ollie Barkley got himself kind of hitched for a period to the Wilkinson train yeah. and when you talked about Johnny Wilkinson during this World Cup you talked about his injury you talked about his leg you talked about his goal kicking you talked about his drop goals you talked about his drop off in form and the fact he hadn't played and then you talked about Ollie Barkley yeah and Ollie Barkley is I would say a good fly half slash centre. Yes. And yet that is the response that has been had to that. Yeah. He is not as good as Johnny Wilkinson. He is being put in, I think, before he's ready, in a situation he's not ready for, with what looks to be Brian Ashton, by all accounts, a great coach. But this team do not look well driven. They do not look like they know what they're doing, almost remotely in attack. Yeah. It's all a mess. Like everything is being said for Ollie Barkley to fail. And the pressure's being hyped on him so that he will crash entirely if he does. Yeah. Like, they will probably look to blame him as much as they'll blame Wilkinson. It's interesting as well because, like, for example, he gets replaced by Andy Farrell late in this mm. game. And straight away, they do the exact same thing to Andy Farrell. And we both lived through it with Sam Burgess in 2015. Yeah. And the amount of pressure that was put on him as a player. And it didn't happen, so immediately they blamed him and went straight back to Rugby League. Yeah. And clearly, if England are shit in this World Cup, they want Andy Farrell to be that scapegoat as well as Ollie Barkley. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's a lot of talk on. I mean, I think the commentator brings up maybe three times how good Andy Farrell was at league. I believe, yeah. And therefore, why isn't he working in Union mm. without actually stopping to judge him? Like, there's no actual account of what he's doing. There's just this assumption that everything's bad. Yeah. Until in the second half, he scores a try, mm. and the commentator says, "Oh, that's the first time we've seen him do something good." And what he does, right, is he falls over in a straight line. <laughs> Like, he is trying to hit a straight line, try, um, potentially looking at giving a pass. Then he notices that the Tongans drifted too hard and he kind of just falls over straight yeah, and yeah. flops over and scores. Kind of throws a dummy because he didn't really have it the, the correct tool yeah. to throw the right pass as Wilkinson loops around him and runs in a straight line and falls over. Yeah, like, it's a very simple try. Like, yeah. it's a try I look and go like, oh, I've scored that in touch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and like, also, it's not a, you're not the same size as Andy Farrell. Of course, that's going to work for him, yeah. you know? Like, I'm not a good rugby player right and if I can if I can score it then Andy Farrell can score sure, it sure. I'm not looking at that going like finally he's bringing what he brought to rugby league yeah but it's just because he hadn't scored the try up until that point and because mm. England had been broadly shit they blamed him and I know Lee's been you know Calvert who's previously been on this podcast is really on record as talking about how angry it makes him the fact that he became a punchline but like Watching this World Cup back is completely unfair like is mm. Andy Farrell turning around this troubled England team on his own no he's not no right there's only one player who can do that humanly, and he's starting at 10. Yeah. No one else is able to have the impact. No one can have the impact from that 12 shirt, especially, I think. 
And yeah, he gets scapegoated because it was set up to fail from the beginning. And then they yeah. did it again with Sam Burgess, just just a World Cup and a half down the line. Yeah. Just like less than 10 years later, they did exactly the same thing again. And guess how it went. Yeah. I'm so glad they haven't done it again because it felt like they were getting in this routine of doing it every other World Cup. Yeah. I don't know if there's time for, you know, like Chris Hill to convert to Union in the next two months and I genuinely Brian don't. Hall on the wing. I wonder if it's because there isn't a massive name rugby league star in the same way now that the Simphill is the word of the time. I did just have to kind like, of scratch my head a little bit and think, shit, who, who's the, the big England rugby league player? Yeah, I could I don't have. really know. That, you love rugby league, though. I do love you, rugby league. You love rugby league. Yeah, it's my favourite sport. But that's the thing. Like, I think if there was a player of the like big name recognition of Sam Burgess in yeah. his country. Or like a Kevin Sinfield. Or Kevin Sinfield was before he retired. Yeah. Or Rob you know, Burrow. Rob even. Burrow. You know, and then you go back to the... I mean, Jason Robinson. Yeah. You go back to Andy Farrell. You go back to, you know, the, yeah. all the rest of the world. I wonder whether they would have reached for that by now. Because mm. it's sort of the RFU's go-to thing is sign the biggest rugby league start to fix a broken team. Yeah. And then fire the coach afterwards when it doesn't work. <laughs> And, and then they just have to fire Eddie Jones. To then go on a podcast and say yeah. it's nepotism. <laughs> maybe, maybe they could have signed Vulavalu to come and play for England. Maybe that's what they could have done instead of firing Eddie Jones. I mean, they tried it with Denny Salamona. Yeah. <laughs> but back at the England team. Yes. Should we carry on looking at that? So we'll talk about the rest of the back line. Matthew Tate is who's partnering on yeah. Barkley in the centres. I really like Matthew Tate. I think yeah. he's a really solid player. Had a great career. Played in three different positions. Matthew Tate is one of the best players who could belong in a backline that terrible. Yes, definitely. And you can see what his selling point is when rugby like, is at this point. Matt Tate is a brilliant rugby player who is famous for doing for having the worst game of his career. That is the thing he's famous for, is being picked up and bullied by Gavin Henson. And, I mean, more of that later, because if you think playing against Gavin Henson on his debut is his worst nightmare. Mm. Wait till you see how he handles Sukahu Fanger yes. in the centres. And E.P. Tayoni. And E.P. Tayoni, yes. Paul Saki on the wing with Mark Cueto. Yeah, who had an actually good game last time. Yeah, exactly. So fair enough selection. In the pack, George Shooter starting at a hooker. And it's probably a toss-up at this point between him and Lee Mears for who yeah. starts and who's on the bench. But it's fair enough. Shooter's pretty accurate when it comes to hitting his man in the line-out. So... Uh, it's entirely fair enough. Nick Easter in at number eight as well, with Martin yeah. Corey at six as captain. Which is sort of the big change, isn't it? Corey takes the captaincy, and Easter comes in at eight. Yeah. Nick Easter, who's got a hat-trick against Wales in the warm-ups. Of course. So, probably deserved a chance, I guess. I guess so. With yeah. Steve Borthwick in the second row as well. Yeah. Who's kind of brought in for Simon Shaw, who I believe is injured. But just I'm kind of to, so. to, for one of better phrase, shore things up a bit. Nice. You know, the kind of set-piece specialist. Like, that's been misfiring for them. Yeah. You bring in Borkwick to sort the line out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk Tonga. Because yes. Because this Tonga team well, super exciting. So, as the commentator says, Tonga don't make any changes except for two. <laughs> it's an unchanged lineup except for two. Brilliant. Yeah, so the stars that are across this team are fantastic. We've just spoken about this centre combo mm. of Paddy Power, Ipi Tayoni, and Sukahu Fanga. I literally can't think of a centre combo that would make me shit myself more than oh, those yeah. two. Like, Tayoni is just a massive... Like, I mean, he was a number eight before this, the kind of year or two leading into this. Yeah. And a very well-renowned international number eight as well. You could have a 12 made of laxatives and I wouldn't shit myself as much as facing <laughs> yes. these two. Yes. Suka Hufanga is... He's just... I think he's my kind of player. Like, 
I think every single Tonga game that we've covered in 2011 or 2007, I've just obsessed over this guy. The word, I think, is direct. He is direct, isn't he? But the feet on him are yeah. unreal. Like, he could sidestep anybody and then bounce a guy in the process. He's one of those players who, if you saw him playing as a kid and everyone was trying to assign positions to them yet, you wouldn't take long to go 13. Yeah, exactly. You'd see him touch the ball once, you're like, oh, he's a 13. There yeah. you are. Slot him in, get him in the jersey. He's just class, isn't he? He's just class. Also, they've got... So, Pierre Holland started every single game for Tonga mm-hmm. at 10 here. Alongside, of course, Sione Tupelotu yes. at 9. Who Father of. Father of Cecilia, of course. Who I think Tupelotu, as over the course of this tournament, has nailed down that 9 jersey, which he didn't have yeah. at the start. I think he's done a really good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was, of course, Sione Tupelotu just leaving Newport. Yes. He left them to go and play in Japan after this World Cup, which uh, is a kind of... In some ways, a sad parting, but in other ways, you know, a lot of his family remains there, yeah. allowing Cecilia to grow up there and yeah. become the hero that she is and play for Wales. to all of Wales. What a legend. Commentator's very, very confused that he's playing scrum half. He is. And I checked this. He started six games at fullback by this point out of his 28 caps. Yeah. So he was obviously a scrum half. And like, the you look over the course of this tournament, right? He has played, exclusively started at nine. Yeah. Like, he hasn't started every game at nine, but every game he started, he has started And the one nine. where he came off the bench was at nine. Yeah. So, make what you will of that. Yeah, clearly hasn't been watching. But anyway, yes, you mentioned Wales a minute ago, and I think that there's something very important to address, talking of, of Wales as fans of the Welsh regions growing up. Mm. Because as the national anthem started, the camera panned across, and I went, it's Felice <laughs> On the bench, and this is a huge thing if you're a Cardiff fan, Tonga have both... Talfal Felice and Mama Molotika. What a pair of players those were. This is Mama Molotika's only ever Rugby World Cup game. Wow. I think. He plays about 20 minutes and I don't know if he maybe would have gone in 2003 actually. Well, I mean, so he won his first cap in 1997. Which is ridiculous. He retired in 2020. Yep. He won his first cap in 1997. That's ludicrous. 23 year professional career. And... I mean, there will have been other top flight games before he won his first cap as well to go alongside that. Mama but you're Bolotica, right. Yeah, he didn't go to either 99 or 2003. No, okay. Wow. So to give a bit of context, because people not from Cardiff or Bath may not remember, or Amptill may yes. not remember Mama Malatika, but I think he was a favourite of both of ours growing yep. up. Tongan, obviously. Back row, seemingly Could played play second lock. row here. Yeah. Yeah, he was just fantastic. He hit absolutely everything. Could play across the back row. Was just a real servant for Cardiff. Played he was hundreds of games. The absolute hardest bloke on the pitch and the nicest man off it. He seemed so lovely. Yeah. Just like the kind of kindest, gentlest man. And you saw him walk over that white line and he became the fiercest bastard. Yeah. I remember when I was like he, 12 and I first got mm. Twitter having interactions with him and he would always say thank you for the support. Because oh. he was lovely. Yeah, he was great. Had a massive afro that he would squeeze under a scrum cap. Yes. And sometimes you'd see him, like the cameras would be on him as he's warming up to come off or just gone off. And he'd be sort of squeezing it into the, the scrum cap. Always managed to fit in somehow. He never quite knew how. Some sort of bloody like Mary Poppins handbag magic. <laughs> squeezing it in. Glorious man. Just a wonderful, good. wonderful rugby player. Great player, great player. So, Mamma I want to talk a bit about Mamma because you are right. This is only Rugby World Cup appearance, yeah. right? So I want to fit in a quick story about Mamma Okay, okay. Okay. So, obviously, the key story of him is that he retires whilst playing for Amp Hill in 2020. Yes, you the, know. the pandemic stopped him yeah. from playing. And he was planning to play for another year or two, Yeah, if not for the pandemic, causing him to, to pack it all in. 
However, do you know where he started his rugby? Where? So, he was born in Tonga. When he was a teenager, he moved to New Zealand, right? And he lived in New Zealand for quite a while. Whilst on a holiday to go home to visit family, when he was 18, Molotika passed the national team training and went to watch. And they asked him, does he fancy joining in? Because he no. was bloody enormous. So he didn't have prior top-level rugby experience before being a Tongan international. Nope. My so, God. And that's for Tonga. Yep. That they looked at him and thought, oh, you're bigger than the rest of our lads. <laughs> Do you fancy coming and training? Jesus. So that was in 1996, right? The coach was like, oh, he's pretty good. Kept inviting him down, and he made his debut in 1997. Oh my god! Because he ran into the national team training on holiday and signed the watch. We thought Celia Tuipulotu's story was impressive. Nope. Like at least she played for a year before getting in the national team. He just walked, literally walked into the national team. He just walked into the. He just walked up. They were like, "Bloody hell, you're big!" Saw him playing. He was like, "Bloody hell, you're good." Yeah. So uh, apparently, one of his mates made the national team, and he was like, "Oh, I'll just come and watch you while I'm here." That's genuinely insane. They initially called him in to hold tackle pads. I've never heard a story like that before. Initially called him in to hold the spike. But yes. yeah, called him in to hold tackle pads. One of the coaches then asked his mate, who is this guy? He's enormous. <laughs> Can <laughs> he play? Imagine if you're his mate and then you've worked really, really hard to get in. And it's like, right, okay, so we're going to name the squad for this weekend, right? And on the bench, okay, so the bench lock... So, Army's dropped out, okay, so we're going to have to make a call-up, going to make his debut, and there's his mate is there, just with a glint in his eyes, like, oh, I've worked so hard for this, I'm about to get my debut. And it's going to be his mate, Mama, who's come and held the tackle pads, because he's bloody enormous. <laughs> so yeah, he gets in, two games later, they go like, you know what, we're going to put you on the bench, Mama. <laughs> to play the New Zealand Maori, he comes in, he wins his first cap. Also in the team that day, right? Free Vanapolas and Cooley Falatau, who oh. eventually comes on to partner in the second row. He goes on to play against Toby, having won his first cap alongside his dad. That's genuinely mad. That's mad. There was a bit of talk at that point with Tolupe Falatau saying mm. he could be the me- he's like the next Mama Walatika. Yeah, yeah. There was a little bit of just like, oh, who's the other Tongan that's played in Wales? You know, that we can compare him to. But that's mad that he's played alongside the lad's dad. But this, this is the thing, right? So they then, the following year, go on tour in Wales. They go and play both the Welsh national team, but they also then go and play against Bridgend. And one guy who'd come to watch them train before they played Bridgend said to Momotiki he was an agent and went, do you fancy coming to play at Bridgend here? He signs for Bridgend, plays for them for a few years, Goes on to carry on through the career he has, playing forever Vale, playing eventually for the Cardiff Blues, as they shall forever be known. What a fantastic story that is. Yep. Good old Mama Malatika. I'm so glad that we've got some value out of having him play 20 minutes in the Rugby World Cup. The other key thing, though, in 1999, Graham Henry, who was Wales coach at the time, calls up Mama Malatika and says to him, do you fancy playing for Wales? And Mama Malatika has to say, sorry... I'm already capped. <laughs> I got two caps by accident through just turning up while I was on holiday to visit my grandparents. Oh, I'm here in the first place. That's fantastic. But yeah, he um, could have played for Wales. I take it he wasn't Welsh qualified at that he point. He was by anyway. that point. It was his third year in Wales. Yeah. Wow. So he could have played in the 99 World Cup. That's mad. Which it was for the oh, training squad for 99. Could you not play for two countries at that point? No, they just changed the laws. They're the oh. laws. It was after Granny Gate. 
Of course. So Granny Gate just happened. That happened. Oh, Mo Ortega never got to play for Wales. If that, if he got that call a year earlier, if this whole thing happened a year or two earlier, Manuel Ortega could have been a Welsh international. Yeah, his kids played for Wales at eighth grade. Of but, course, you know. Yeah, yeah, and now twenty and twenty-two. Oh, so right. I'm assuming I think they're playing somewhere quite high up in the league. So. Yeah, I think that rings a bell. I think that rings a bell. I think they might, might be amped till with him actually. When oh. he's coaching or was was playing to a couple of years ago. I might pull that on my arse though. I'm not entirely sure, but yes, big up Manuel Atika. What a legend. Big fan of his. To quickly finish off on the Tonga team, I think the headline of the piece is the back row. The back row. No, you're you're absolutely right. Halle to pole. Captain Neely Latu and Finau Maka, who has taken this World Cup by storm. He really has, hasn't he? He's made up for lost time. Him and Latu. Yeah, th- those guys have been incredible through this World Cup. That said, though, Neely Latu should not have been on the pitch after like the 20th minute when he beheads Lewis Moody. But No, which is another thing we'll have to come back to that incident. But, yeah, I mean, he's kind of taken the, the mantle from Tapal. He's... Utter, like, bullshit red card fest. Yeah, yeah, it's absolute implosion. There's a really interesting incident that happens before kickoff, however, mm. and we, we have to talk about this. Yes. Right. So both teams do their national anthems. England go, both And then Tonga just belt out their anthem, which I'm not going to do an impression of. And then... The curtain raiser for the test match we've got coming up. As the commentators and the crowd start going, this is a huge occasion. Tonga really fired up. Tonga are here for maybe the biggest day in their history yeah. as a rugby team. Yeah. That they could get to the Rugby World Cup quarterfinal. It's their best ever shot at it with this team, right? And they set up to do the sippy towel. And you think, yeah, we see this every week, but it's always great entertainment. And, you know, you get, you sit down and you're ready to take this in. And the camera pans out and you see Alecky Lutui, who is firstly leading the sippy towel mm. and secondly, fucking terrifying, right? Huge bloke, absolute monster on the field, mm-hmm. right? The camera pans out and you see he is about six inches from Andrew Sheridan's face. England have lined up on the halfway line. Tonga have also lined up on the halfway line. There is a about, as you say, about like four or five inches either side of the, the line between them. Yeah. The referee comes in, has to be Tonga, like, no, you take one step back each. Yeah. Just so like you don't hit someone as you're wailing your arms around during the sippy And then Aleki Lutu goes, no, I want to hit this man during yeah. the sippy towel. <laughs> Aleki Lutu was, uh, just watching him during this was just top class entertainment. It's He's so fired up. A very interesting moment, I think, from an English perspective, more than to- from a Tonga's perspective. Of course you want to like challenge them and mm. be as intimidated as you can. It's a great moment. From the England perspective, you line up on the 10 metre line and you go, well, this doesn't matter to us, right? Them standing on the halfway lines and them going like, this really matters to us, this is a big challenge. Yeah. And if you're Tonga, it's kind of job done by them, like they're in your face. And the problem with the whole thing, the reason this hasn't become a huge iconic moment that gets shared around, right, is the crowd ruins it by singing Swing Low over it in a really like droll, tired tones yes. in what was initially like a really promising atmosphere. Yeah. And it's not like we've seen like Welsh crowds half singing Bread of Heaven whilst the other half's reacting, it kind of drowns everything out. Sure, sure. And the whole thing becomes like, it's like when you're playing a really unfitting music track over, sure. you know, something yeah. in the background. Yeah, it's, I mean, this is a World Cup we'll hopefully one day cover, but we're talking like 10 years time. Mm. So last year's World Cup, the mm. Women's World Cup, right? The quarterfinal, semifinal, and most of the Black Ferns pool games, when they did the hacker, 
a lot of teams, including Scotland and Wales, who they absolutely pumped, mm. did the thing of joining up together, then walking up from the 10-metre line yeah. to the halfway to challenge them, right? I think there's a time and a place for that, because I, I love it when someone mm. challenges the hacker, or the Sipitao, or Sivitao, or Thimby, whatever. Right, I love it when someone does that, because I, I think that there's a real sense of occasion mm. and atmosphere that builds up around that, right? But, for example, when Scotland did it, and then New Zealand fucking pasted them and put 70 points on them. Yeah. It kind of devalues it a little bit. Yeah. Same when Wales did it in their, the quarterfinal and then got pumped, right? England, however, in the final, didn't do that. They made a point of, instead of going, oh yeah, well, we're playing against you and it's a, our biggest occasion ever, they kind of disrespected them by just standing on the 10-metre line and spreading out. Yeah. And Emily Scarrett's gone on podcast before and said, like, it was to represent our defensive line that there's no way through and that you can't just eyeball all of yeah, us. Yeah. And said that her and Sarah Hunter kind of took the brunt of them all eyeballing those two. But that, for me, I think was so much more powerful than actually challenging it, was the fact that they just watched it and just like, okay... Great, what are you going to do then? Whereas England, as you say, they see it as a real challenge and they, they mm. give Tonga the respect and go, right, okay, come on then, we'll have a fight with you. Which is exactly what Tonga won. I both agree with you as a neutral, but like I think with that Scotland example, that was the first time Scotland played the Black Ferns since 2009. Was it? Yeah. Okay, that just So like, it is a huge occasion for them and for those yeah. players to be like, actually, we haven't faced a hacker before. Yeah. Like none of those players, a lot of the players hadn't taken up rugby. Sure, when sure. they last played the Black Ferns. Yeah, that does make a bit more sense. But but it's, still, it's, still did lose by 70 points. Yeah. You know? And Scotland were really only competitive in that game for about 10 minutes. Yeah. Like it, they and that was always going to be play. Yeah. Um, Not that's how they would have seen it. But. So it was a... Yeah. But the thing is, it's always a big occasion for the smaller team, isn't it? And it's why, like, I hope Namibia do a response to it. You know, yeah. I hope Uruguay do a response. But that's it. Like, when that happened, do you think Sarah Hirani cared that the Scotland players were walking towards her? No, Probably exactly. Not, yeah. You know? And yes, I think it's different for Namibia, Uruguay, and those yeah. sorts of, of teams who are just seeing it as an occasion. And know? it is a one-off, you know? Like, yeah. it's something that you've seen, like, Villaseca, the Uruguay captain, has talked about the fact that, like, they were really excited to get in their pool, both because it gives them a good shot of two wins in terms of Namibia, and yeah. then they can put all their eggs in the basket of trying to beat Italy, which is something I think they're very much targeting. Yeah. But also they get the occasion of playing the All Blacks. Yes, yeah, exactly. Which, which everyone wants to do. Yeah. Everyone wants to do that. Um, the biggest brand in the sport. Yeah. And if you're a young player, it's what you want to do. Yeah. You know, if you're a Namibian player, you want to play against the All Blacks one day. Yeah. It's a huge moment. I love that face-off yeah. between the Sipitao and England. I also like how the commentator, Paul Dickerson, having just referred to Martin Corey, the England captain, yep. of course... Then says, oh, and you can tell um, Andrew Sheridan, George Shooter and Matt Stevens weren't too impressed by that. And look, I've done enough episodes of this podcast to know that he just didn't know three England players and just looked at his team sheet and just <laughs> read out the first, three. Out the first three and was like, yeah, those guys, because they weren't stood together. No. He's a, he will have looked at the line and gone, there's Andrew Sheridan on one side, there's George Shooter on the other side, and there's Matt Stevens in the middle. Those three all look really unimpressed. <laughs> There must have been in shirt number though, order. There must have been. There must have been. Sorry, there were. There must have been. There must have been. Of course there were. Of course there were. It's funny you mentioned Martin Curry. Yeah. Because um, he had no involvement in this game. I don't think it'll come up on the notes, but I think it's worth worth reading. Okay. It's worth covering. It's worth talking about, I think. All right. All right. So I'm going to read you an extract in the adventures of Martin Curry during this game. Okay. Okay. Martin Curry was not expecting this. As England's rugby captain, he had thought this day would be full of cheers and jeers from the crowd. But instead, he was walking oh, through no. the stands and finding 
two fervent fans going at it in the middle of the game. Inches away from the sideline. He recognised them almost immediately as Jack and Maria. <laughs> Wait, two, they aren't fans! It's two, an England and a Samoa player! Two of England's most dedicated supporters. Maria well, played yeah, against them last what, week! Yeah. And if one was your starting seven, so of course he's a dedicated supporter. <laughs> yeah. I should have mentioned that on the teams, by the way. Lewis Moody comes in at seven for Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had been coming to matches for years. Always dressed in matching England shirts. <laughs> no, they weren't. <laughs> Maria started for Samoa. It's open side flanker. With their faces painted in the national colours. <laughs> Sorry. Wait, so Maria played for Samoa with an England flag painted on her face. <laughs> That'd be great shit. That is how you stand up to the hacker. Yes. Right? Get a New Zealand flag painted on your face before a game. Oh, that'd be very funny. That would be great. Joe Marler would do that, and that's the worst thing. I'm, I'm just saying, right, Antoine Dupont, if you're listening, you might as well give it a go, bro. He'd even heard rumours they were engaged to be married. Oh, really? After a week. <laughs> Sorry. It's after a year, mate. The next, of course, of course. It was ten days, but it was a year. It was a year. But here they were, having sex in the stands. <laughs> Martin Corey couldn't believe his eyes. <laughs> he was about to confront them when he heard a voice. Oh, no. Martin, we can explain, Jack said. It's not what it looks like. While still having sex. He's loud, though. <laughs> to Martin Corey. He's clearly, like, set in front line now. And he's yeah. like, hold on, hold on. These two on the front row over here. Alan Rock going, get Populated. on with it, get on with it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't notice much of Martin Corey in this game, it must be said. Yeah, this is what he was doing. Martin was taken aback. He had never expected to hear an explanation from Jack and Maria. What is it, then? He asked. Jack and Maria looked at each other before Maria spoke. <laughs> we were celebrating, she says. England won the match and we wanted to do something special. <laughs> they kept still going on. This, so they, they, this Samoan international. <laughs> Midway through the game. And midway through intercourse. Midway through the game decides, we need to celebrate England's win here. After 20 minutes when they're behind mm, against This is Tonga. 20 minutes in, yeah, I did notice that. <laughs> Let's shag. <laughs> Martin couldn't help but smile. He knew how much this meant to them, and he was happy that they were able to share this special moment together. <laughs> well, Wait a second. Well, I'm glad you're having a good time, he said. Just try and keep it down a bit next time. (laughs) This is during the match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack and Maria nodded in agreement. Martin gave them one last smile before heading back on (laughs) onto the pitch. So it's even canon in this that the game's still going on. He's come off the pitch. To be fair, they're only like inches away from the Sure, sure, sure. He still stepped off and stepped over the advertising hoardings in order to go and confront them about the fact that they're having active intercourse. He could have just told a steward. Yeah. Freddie Stewart, who was a child at the time. This would have been inappropriate. Yeah. As he walked away, he couldn't help but feel a bit of pride in the fact that two of England's biggest fans had found a way to celebrate their win in their own special way. 
Was Jack not at the captain's run yesterday? <laughs> he should have been. He should have been. When the game finished, people started to leave the stadium slowly. But Jack and Maria stayed a bit longer to bask in the afterglow of their forbidden escapade. They had experienced an intensity of passion that could never be found in the ordinary world. <laughs> and it would never be forgotten. I've already forgotten it. Don't some or have a game tomorrow. <laughs> Probably. So, um, here's the thing, right? Even if we just take Martin Corey's side of the story, that these mm. are England's two biggest fans, and yeah. every week they come in matching scarves, and oh, they have sex One in the of stands. them even sometimes comes on the pitch yeah. and starts playing. That's no, how no, big a fan even if, we, even if we just take it from that version, like, mm. Martin Corrie has forgotten he's played with this guy. Yeah. And to him, these are just the two biggest fans of England, and every game they turn up in scarves and hats and everything and face paint, and he recognises them by now, right? And every few games, they have sex with each other on the sidelines. <laughs> By England that win. point, if England win. yeah, 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 you would tell the police rather than going up to confront them. Yeah, and this is the one we just had enough, and he's just used to like glancing over, like they're bloody doing it again. That's where they get their kicks from. Is the <laughs> England captain Martin Curry coming up and telling them off? You know, you bloody Scotland, Six Nations, you travel all that way, <laughs> and here you are again. Bloody Nora. That's how Martin Curry talks. That is, that's what he said, I think, the previous time it happened. Yeah. So that's an important thing that happens during this game. Yeah. While we focus on the rugby. In. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's important that we start talking about the game yeah. in that way, that we've got a load game going on. I've got to say, the first 20 minutes had a real textured intensity to it. They really did. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So anyway, carrying on, carrying yes. on. Tonga start this game really, really well. They do. There's they do. such directness and speed to the way that they start. Like, the, they get the ball straight away and they just go, you know what we should do? Bloody give it to Paddy Power in the midfield. Because powerful he is. And, like, the carry he makes early on really sets the tone. Mm. And you start picking and going from there. Getting really quick ball. And just being really unpredictable to... What in- I don't know what England were expecting of them just being direct, but... I believe it's that same carry. I want to give you the commentary. Go on. Where he's just been calling the players, you know, Tupelotu, Tahola, and then he says, that guy's not particularly small. <laughs> he's not wrong. No. And, oh no, sorry, sorry it's Tonga we're carrying. It's right. around that time, yeah. it's around that carry. Because the Tongans are massive, but it is, there's this kind of like, on the whole, there's a kind of dynamism and not like... Not modern day subtlety where they're having dummy runs and someone to bring people onto the ball, but like they're not just chucking it one up. Yeah, on exactly. The hole, you know, exactly. like 
They're bringing people there's some onto variations, the ball and occasionally picking yeah. and going, but yeah. only when there's room there to do so. And as I say, they're attacking with real speed, you know, mm. the whole time. Like, Finau Maka's in the heart of it constantly, as is Lekin Lutui. Absolutely. And so, like, the first 15 minutes are quietly uneventful, and yet we do have Tonga in complete control of them. Yeah. It's weird where, like, they don't necessarily have any try scoring opportunities, but, like, there's not a moment where England on top of them. And they are making more ground, they are playing smarter, they're playing more accurately. They're just the better team. Yeah, like for sure. Unequivocally, up until about 15 minutes when Pierre Hall is given a penalty. As he's lying it up, they cut cut to Johnny Wilkinson. Just have a look at, like, this is what a goal kicker looks like, by the way. They cut back to Holler and he smashes it. He absolutely drills it from 48 metres. Yeah, 40 odd metres from Tuopolotti winning a jackal penalty. Yes, that's a scrum off. Yeah. And he wins a few of them in this game. Like, he's really strong, which we've, we've noticed before. But mm. yeah, like, a great kick by Holler to put them 3 0 up, and it's well deserved, you've got to say. And from there, I think Tonga begin to kind of settle a bit. I think there's a kind of nervous energy that is helping them mm, in the yeah. first 15 minutes, but it's still nervous energy nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. And the moment they've got that settler on the board, you do see them kind of go like, actually, we're ahead against England. We can beat them. Yeah. We can beat them. Definitely. And it's absolutely their mindset. They're absolutely in this game to win it. Yeah. I, I love their psychotic maul defence. Yes. Because there's like a point where England get a really, really good maul that goes up from halfway to the 22, right? And... At that point, Tonga go, right, their moral is clearly a strength. Yeah. Okay, next time they have one of these, we'll just have to defend it a different way, right? Yeah. So what they do is England bring it to the floor and start to do their little maul, right? And Tonga just go, right, okay, we'll have like three people engaged in the maul and the other five forwards will just run in from 15 metres away and just smack the nearest <laughs> person. And they all do that, right? They all come in from... Various angles. The, the mall obviously falls to the floor because everyone's knocked out, right? And everyone's there, got like really just confused. The, the ball's laid back and Tonga have been so cynical and psychotic in that mall that Alan Rohan's forgotten it's not a ruck and has given them like a jackal turnover penalty, even though you can't really have one of those <laughs> in a, in a mall. You can come in from a certain angle at a ruck and not get penalised for it at the defensive team, whereas mm. you can't really do that in a mall. And he doesn't penalise a single one of them because they're all doing it at such crazy timings and angles. And I love it. Yeah, I know, it's fantastic. And England then, from there on, go like, oh, we just want to try a mall again. We'll just leave that. Yeah. So the rest of the second half, the rest of the first half, England are not mauling, even though it's clearly a massive strength because yeah. Tonga dismantled it once yeah. through sheer violence. It just goes to highlight, I think, just how badly managed this England team is. For sure. How bad their decision making is. Yeah. They're not playing to their strengths at all. No. That thing we were saying earlier about them, like, not quite being anything. They're not anything good anyway. The, the thing I didn't mention is from that one dominant maul they do at the start, they get three points out of it. Yeah. Tonga give away a penalty, yeah. they just panic in their own 22, which they did pretty much the whole first half whenever they were in their own mm. 22. They'd give away a penalty away and Wilco slots in, it's three all. Like, easy as that. And yet, almost straight after that, Tonga get right back into the opposition half. Yeah. Because England give away a stupid penalty again. Because this team are just quite dumb. Yeah. And from there, Tonga run what I think is an ingenious move. Right? Which is what I was saying earlier about them not just being entirely like simple smash-up jobs. They go, well, what if we did do one just simple smash-up job? And it is the most basic, like, Pierre Holler is weirdly flat, but Tyone is, like, 20 metres behind him. Yeah, I love and this. And <laughs> Hufanga is, like, 30 metres behind him. Yes. 
And he just goes, all right, we're just going to give Tony as big a run-up as he likes, and he's going to run in completely on his own with no one within 10, 15 metres of him. I love it, because Pierre Holler shifts in the ball and goes, on you go then, lad. Yeah, good luck. And you don't need to wish him good luck. You've got this, the you? size of him. You've got this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah go on then. And what I love is Pierre Holler, like, pretending to run a little loop. Yeah. You see that? When <laughs> yeah, he gets yeah, the pass, yeah. he pretends to run a little loop behind Tyone. But it's like clearly... He, like they wanted anything other than Tyone to just run into someone. It's clearly just a, I'm not clearing this out. I'm going to look like I'm doing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it, I can blame somebody else if I'm already moving to the other side of the pitch, you know? And bash into somebody is what Tyone does. Indeed. And makes a fantastic tackle bust. It's weird because he starts off running this hard line and you usually assume that's like an out-to-win thing. But with Tyone, he's that big, it just doesn't matter which direction he's running in. No. Like, he doesn't have to run a good line to make a line break, does he? No, no. And especially, like, Ollie Barkley, who is a rugby player, has made tackles before, is not known for being defensively frail, and yet, on this occasion, when faced with a man who is E.P. Tyone... I would think it is fair to call him frail. Yes, I think it is. And Paddy Power makes a fool of him, it's yes. safe to say. Goes on the outside of him and then also bashes into Matthew Tate. And credit to Matthew Tate, he puts his body on the line there. And I wouldn't say he gets Tyone to ground, but he does slow him down quite significantly. Mm. And that gives him time to just somehow free an arm. Because out of nowhere... Like, from out of shot, out of picture. Mate, when Tyone put, get, puts his arm out and goes, right, I'm going to offload this, you're like, there's nobody on the screen to offload to. What are you doing? And yet, somewhere arrives. And I don't know how, when he's this big, he manages it. But Suga Hufanga absolutely blares, bursts through, steams through, like, full tilt, Takes the pass perfectly, timed immaculately. Clearly the kind of thing from these two having played each other for so long, knowing each other inside out, having been to, you know, get orange juice infinitely all through this tournament, just know exactly what each other are going to do. Hufanga picks it perfectly, takes the line, and manages to skid, skid, skid around Lucy. Yeah. As he is at full acceleration, he changes direction, steps on the right-hand side, then steps back on the left-hand side. Breaks Josh Lucy's ankles. The reverse angle of this is fucking hilarious, by the way. It's brilliant the way Lucy just goes like, oh, right, okay. So I just mentally prepared myself to tackle this massive man running at me, and he has just dusted me off cleanly. Yeah, he just kind of loses everything. Yeah. Including dignity, especially dignity. Especially dignity. And Suga Hufang is off. There is no catching him at that stage. Apart from, I mean, Mark Quaithu does. Quito gets across and gets a leg to it gets kind of an arm around his leg and he starts to stumble a bit before the line the commentator shouts oh Hufanga he's going to score he's in and then he goes no he's not and then he scores and then there's a wait and he goes like oh maybe he has (laughs) because Quito gets to him Mm. Hufanga has a famously massive handoff and the handoff that propels both him and Cueto to the floor. <laughs> yeah. But he wants to be on the floor because it's quite a wet day. It's not raining as such, no. but it's wet underfoot and slides a good four metres to score. It's fantastic. It's what a try. This is the moment you're completely out of your seat. Yeah. I wish I'd been watching this live so yeah. you could have really got up and really cheered. Yeah. It's the moment that would go down so well in the fan zone or in the crowd if you're a non-England fan. Yeah. 
it's just like the moment where oh, Tonga could do this. Like they've taken the game for them completely for twenty minutes. Like they've been in control. They I've never seen that leads. try before either. No, me like, neither. I, holy shit! I was just so overcome by that, especially such a lover of Hufanga, and just think he's such a supremely underrated player. You can't say it isn't a fair reflection of the game. It shows exactly how the game's been played and who's been the better team. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And the thing is, you get that impression that like Tonga could easily do this again. They yeah. could they could get a bonus point at this stage like they're they're so on top. Obviously, this is around the twenty minute mark, so that's when Jack and Maria start copulating. Yes. You know, so Martin Corey disappears for a little bit. But I think even with a man down as Corey mm. was, England pulled themselves together decently. Ish. Ish. I don't know. I just think it's kind of as you said, Tonga panic a bit once England get into the twenty two. Yeah. And England, when you've got Wilkinson kicking as well as he is, it isn't that hard to get into the twenty two. No, that's very true. And I feel like it, England don't seem to have a greater plan of how they're going to get upfield and no. then win the ball back. But Wilkinson in his head just does. I think he just knows that, you know, if you pin the corners, we've got a good enough line out that actually will be all right. Yeah. And clearly he's mapped this whole thing out in his head, knows it's a really easy formula to get back in the game and doesn't panic at all. And he does that, sets up the position. Their attack coach might as well be Wilkinson and not in the way that George Ford is doing like extra coaching stuff with Sale. Sure. Just in the way that all of their attack is Wilkinson making stuff up on the fly. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And they attempt a few times at kind of like things that are look like crash-ups but probably aren't intended as such. Yes. And things that look like going wide but probably aren't intended as such. Yeah. It's all a bit chaotic, a bit all over the place. It's not fantastic rugby at all no but England do find themselves with a penalty just on the edge of the 22 yeah Neely Latu slaps the ball out of Andy Gomesol's hands and then really starts complaining to Alan Rowland about it yeah like mate his service is slow enough just let him be (laughs) and Alan Rowland has time to go up to Neely Latu and say look you shouldn't do that you're not allowed to slap the ball out of the nine's hands had a lot of penalties here now sort it out okay and England set up to take the shot Wilkinson takes the ball, he's about to put it on the floor. You know, you've got the England team behind him, they're kind of stood there waiting, like, you know, for Johnny to do his thing, take it to 6 10. And then, out of nowhere, right as he's setting, as Tonga are kind of like mentally turning off, Wilkinson drops it on his boot. Yes. And the camera flashes back, and you realise, oh, wait, despite the fact Tonga's captain has done that, been in complaint to the referee, been told off. They've still not covered the whole field. Well, I think they probably would have if it wasn't Wilkinson lining up the shot. Like this England team mm. is so reliant on Wilkinson as a kicking option. They know that going in. It, Wilkinson is very clearly looking at that. That's what the captain, you know, Corey is clearly going, we need to strike these two somehow. Wilkinson, shake your booty for them. <laughs> so he's like, okay, fine, I need to kick a goal then. I get it. Like this England team are just like, they are Johnny Wilkinson kicking goals and very little else. Yeah. So... Tom were probably just going, well, let's... It's a fair set. point. It's a fair point. Obviously, you should always expect the unexpected. Yes. But I do think you have a point around that. But... The thing is, England have done nothing unexpected or tournaments. No, they haven't. They haven't. Until now. Until yes. now. As you say, it leaves the boot of Johnny Wilkinson and goes cross-field to an on-racing Paul Sackey. And I'll tell you what, it was one of those tries that's worth watching in slow motion as yes. it comes up. You know, it gets TMO'd, but... As the ball is descending, it's not quite pinpoint by Wilkinson. No. It's still incredible awareness and quick thinking. 
and he gets it close enough. Yeah, exactly. It's still a brilliant kick, but it's not quite perfect. So It's a few inches further than you want it to be. Yes. So Saki, extremely aware of the conditions and everything around his surroundings mm. and so on, goes onto his knees and then onto his bum and slides to try and take the ball. And it is landed. If that ball bounced, it'd probably be about two, three yards short of the dead ball line, mm. maybe. They'd probably bounce up in the air and maybe out or whatever. Yeah. And so he slides onto, yeah, kind of his knee slash bum and well, that's uses it, momentum to take him towards the ball. If the ball bounces, the bounce will be too high and with too much force for him to ground it. Exactly. So that isn't an option. Yeah. As you say, it will bounce. You're looking at probably a 95% chance of bouncing out yeah. off the first bounce. If not, it's probably bouncing to a yeah. and let's be and honest. And he's not running there in time to yeah. regather it on the fall. Yeah. So he kind of has to manufacture a bread basket as he's falling. And that's it. It's the way he then positions his arms to just hope that the ball is going to land in them. Mm. And not only does he take the ball on the fall, but he then manages to twist his entire body round and just get the point of it on the floor as about a split close. second it's before close. his elbow and his knee both hit the dead ball line. It's both a fantastic finish. Well, no, it's mostly a fantastic finish. And there's a little bit of going like... You'll have the last bit of it to chance, didn't you? But, yeah, but I kind but of think that's on the kick. I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm not gonna complain about that too much. Yeah. But like, I get why the commentator were like, oh, Paul Saki could have done more with that. Mm. You're like, well, I, I mean, he's done a pretty great job. I think, and this is never I something he, I'm gonna say about Paul Saki again, I think that's a world class finish. I wouldn't say world class, but I think it's an extremely good finish. Yeah. Maybe I would have said it's a world class finish if it was like Dami and Penno doing it. <laughs> um, it's weird saying that about Paul yeah. Saki. As Sam, do you know what I would have done? What I wouldn't have done this. I would have like not been quick enough to get that yeah. bounce and yeah. not scored. My thought, right? You spin the other way. You put your legs out first, and then you ground the ball. If you're already over the dead ball line, oh, and then you catch the ball, it then, they can't just allow it. It's try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God damn it, Paul Saki! Why didn't you think of that? You can only you get away it. with that at international level as well. Yeah, like if you're not a professional and you try and do that, you will not get away with it. No, but it is in the laws and it is correct. Yeah. So you slide legs four first, legs are over the touchline, but your arms are like still in the field of play. We gather the ball and ground it. Yeah. As long as it's one movement. Yeah, as long as you're fine. Yeah, you just slap the ball as it's hitting the turf. Yeah. And you're fine. But then, no, like if you regat, if you catch it and ground it, like in one mm. movement rather than like bring it into your chest, whatever, you don't move, that's, that should be fine. You should be yeah. good. Yeah. That was my thinking using that weird law. If only you were playing, mate. I know, if only I was playing. I would have um, scored the try that Paul Saki scored I better. I would have tackled Ibi Tayoni, I think. Yeah. You just should have hit him, you know? Yeah. yeah. you just got to go low, you know? Yeah. Take his legs out. Yeah, can't he can't go anywhere without his legs. Yeah. Classic. Classic. The next thing I have written down in my notes is... <laughs> Do you know why? Why? Ollie Barkley. Oh my God, are we talking about the Ollie Barkley thing? Do you want to talk about the Ollie Barkley thing? <sighs> So, so, Ollie Barkley's this guy who sometimes so, likes to no, lock no, no, his no, no. in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> basement jacks. So, um, I'm going to skip ahead a bit, right? Okay. Dick of the day. Yeah. Uh, my dick of the day is Ollie Barkley. <laughs> yeah, I thought it might be. Why is that the case? So, England spend like... Oh, God, it's a pain. What is probably, in real time, about 70 seconds, but felt like my lifetime... Plus at least three of my ancestors' lives in the 22. Like they're picking and going, they're driving around, they're just doing, they're going absolutely nowhere. They don't look like scoring, they don't look like they're thinking about scoring, they don't look like they're considering anything at all. Like it's, 
if they were good, they maybe could have executed an overlap. But obviously, it was established they're not good, so no. that's not an option. And they don't look interested in it. No. Like, they're in the 22. They're five metres out from the trial line. They don't look interested in scoring. Yeah. they just like, I've never seen a team look so disinterested in actually crossing the line to score a try that will put you through to the knockout stage of the bloody World Cup. And the thing is, they could have scored a try. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. They could have gone through that. They could have picked in goal and probably scored, you know? But instead, they're just like rumbling and falling over. And it's like, it's horrible to watch. Like, yeah, it's shit. like, it's, it's both incredibly boring and torturous. Yeah. Like, it's just like, it's, 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 it's horrible. It's like being bloody clockwork orange to watch like <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Like, it just goes on forever. And I'm like, I just don't, I don't have any time for it. And I just like, this is the first thing I did this morning. Like, I got up and I watched England do that. Yeah. And it's miserable and horrible. And Ollie Barkley clearly is like, I've got lads mags to write for, guys. I've got to get out of here. And he, to his credit, to his credit, he goes, I've had enough of this. Not to his credit, all it would have taken, he could easily could have gone like, oh, should we do like hands down the line and we'll score? Yeah. Oh, I'll take it at 10 and crash up and we'll score. Yeah. Oh, I'll tell my forwards, pick and drive into that area, go one out. Exactly. Just we'll lead, score. lead a little bit, you know? Right? Because, let's be honest, right, the reason why he's there in the first place is because Johnny Wilkinson has done one of two things. Yeah. One of the things he might have done is spotted Jack and Maria and Martin Curry yes. in the crowd and gone, right, I need to head over to the wing yes. and pull Martin Curry out of this and get him back on the field, right? Yes. Which I think is the more likely thing that he will have done in that situation. Yes. is to Because he went and stood on the left wing for some reason. It's, it's difficult to know why. The other reason why he may have done this is because he might have just decided... I'm fed up of being the centrepiece of this England team. I've suddenly decided my favourite player of all time, and I say all time because this guy hasn't started playing rugby professionally yet, is Kelly Hymona. <laughs> yes. So, Ollie Barkley, right, has like one in ten decisions he can make in order to end this. <laughs> end, us out of our misery. Yeah, like one of them is to just take a shotgun and take out every cameraman <laughs> in the stadium and in every member of the crowd except for Jack and Jack, Jack and Maria who are avoiding gays. They're fine. Yes, they're 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 the only people enjoying themselves in the stadium. If he right kicked now. the if he took the ball and kicked it ten fifteen yards fifty yards behind him, that would have been better than what he does. <laughs> it, would have, it would have been a, it would have been an improvement for as an entertainment perspective as well, like. The kindest thing Ollie Barkley could have done is hold up a sign saying change over to BBC Two. <laughs> like Network News will air after the rugby. <laughs> yeah. Start the network news, please. Please. I'm mad as hell and I can't take it anymore. So Ollie Barkley instead drops into the pocket, right? England are and I need to stress this, a metre and a half, not even two metres, a metre and a half from the try line between the posts. Yes. Ollie Barkley is in the best position anyone can ever be in to knock over a drop goal. He is about 10 metres out. He's on his correct foot. On his correct foot. About 10 metres out from the goalposts, right? No Tongan decides to charge them because they hate this as well. And they go, fine, I was willing to hang myself, but instead I will let Ollie Barkley knock over three points to put England in the lead, to put them eight, no, 11-10 up after bloody 20 minutes or whatever it is. Half an hour. Who cares? Time is irrelevant anymore because it's just been so long we've been watching England do these pointless falling over pick and goes for nothing. Barkley slots into the pocket. Ten, ten metres out. Ten metres. Not even. (laughs) Like eight metres out from the post, right? And he goes for the drop goal on his correct foot in the perfect position between the posts. 
And somehow, somehow, he does not knock it through. I have never missed from that position. I was going to say, it's very rare that when you say something like, oh yeah, uh, I could have got that, that you actually... I could have finished Paul Saki's try, and I could have made that tackle on it. But but (laughs) in this scenario, both of us would have nailed that drop goal. I can't kick for shit. If I was pissing about and kind of half-heartedly going for it, I would have got that kick if I wasn't particularly yeah, bothered. Yeah, and so would and anyone listening to this. I understand. Look, I told the story last week about, like, I'd never been charged by a Fijian before, right? Fine. I understand it's different if there's Tongans, like, 15 metres away. Yeah. None of them were charging him. No. There was no charge on attempt on him whatsoever. It is the easiest kick of the ball on the field. It's easier than knocking over a place kick from that range. Yeah, they, like, they showed an, a, an angle from the camera behind the post, yeah. right? And the closest thing to a charge down that happens, okay, as the ball leaves, Neely Latu points at Ollie Barkley and says he's about to drop a goal. Yeah. <laughs> After the ball has left Nine's hands. It is the simplest, simplest, like, sometimes you get that kind of yip moment, like you completely forget how to kick and the ball doesn't connect at all, sure. it just gets across the floor. I get that, that happens, that's like a weird nerves thing, right? The ball gets off the floor. The ball like, gets enough height to like go solidly through the post. And it goes wide. If it was a kickoff, that'd be a decent kick, wouldn't it? I don't know how he does it. No. Like, it is... If From a got, ge- geometry perspective, yeah. it is easier to get that kick than not. If you got 115-year-olds to try and take that shot at goal, right? I reckon... Uh, like, uh, say 115-year-olds get the ball off the floor. Yeah. Try and take that shot at goal, right? I reckon 99 of them get it. Yeah. It's like playing golf, being on the green two meters out from the little hole that you put the thing. Not even into. two meters. Yeah, like, like an inch, an inch out from there, an inch, and then just grabbing the iron and thwacking it back into the yeah. the fucking just sand or wherever. Picking up the ball and just like lobbing it. <laughs> Tell I don't watch much golf. Yeah, <laughs> you love rugby league too much. Yeah, you've, you've got to watch one thing on Sky Sports. Yeah, one thing I might watch some golf actually. Yeah, I'm watch some cricket. Yeah, all right, right. Um, Deal. Anything but this England team playing rugby. And Ollie Barkley misses this drop goal it's when Johnny Wilkinson is on the field! Yeah. The greatest drop goal scorer in this competition's history, in the sports history. It's on the field. And Ollie bloody Barkley takes responsibility himself. He doesn't go like, oh, Johnny, knock over a drop goal for us. You do this real quickly. No, he misses a drop goal. He misses the easiest drop goal I've ever seen anyone. I genuinely don't know if I've ever seen anyone attempt an easier drop goal than Ollie Barkley attempts here. Yes. Right? And Jim. he misses it yeah. when Johnny Wilkinson is on the field. Like, it's not only the worst. I would retire. Yeah. <laughs> I would never pick up a rugby ball again. I would lock myself in the basement and never listen to that it, music. It's so true that it's not only the worst drop goal attempt I've ever seen yeah. it is the easiest drop goal yeah. attempt I've ever seen you're right you're wholeheartedly correct to say it because I, there's a part of you that when he shapes the drop goal you go it's a bit of a waste because you're in such a good position mm. here that you could probably score a try but like yeah. I get it it's the bank of three points yeah. and then as the ball leaves his foot you go alright he scored that yeah. because literally yeah, exactly. from a geometrical could, yeah. perspective you see the ball go up and you go great that's in the direction of yeah. the post isn't it because you can't really see from the angle it is. And the referee blows his whistle just once, rather than do a long blow and like put his arm in the air. And you go, has he missed that? I genuinely think, and I'm not exaggerating here, like it is the worst missed shot at goal I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. It's the worst bomb of any try, score, anything in rugby. Is this as bad a dick of the day as I've ever given out actually, I'm pod. thinking about this now, right? Because it's making me probably angry. <laughs> You're so angry. I think this is the worst thing I've ever seen in a rugby pitch. <laughs> it's probably 
like from a skills perspective. I was going to say, Sebastian Valmahin and elbowing yeah, Aaron like, Wainwright is up there. I've seen people like lose their temper and do stupid stuff, right? I've seen people make bad decisions. From a pure skills perspective, I think this is the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm legitimately the worst thing I've ever seen <laughs> on a rugby pitch. Ollie Barbie missing this drop goal from basically stood on top of the bar of the post. And also, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... I think the punchline on this is really good as well. <laughs> yeah, no, it, is. it just gets better. <laughs> so, like, Tongas hit the drop out, and England take it around halfway, and they do a little bit of, like, fannying about on the wing, and they get they crash it up on the wing, and we're, like, one minute later here, and England have the ball on the wing, and they pass it off that ruck to Johnny Wilkinson, stood on the 15-metre line, 30 metres over back, like, on his own 10 metre line, who goes for a drop goal and bloody nails it. It so well. And I would say that drop goal was probably about, I would say 1,500 times harder than Nottie yeah. Barclays. So like, Wilkinson nails it, right? On the angle, like, like diagonal to the post. Yeah. Like, as he's about on his 15 metre line, and he's about 35 metres further well, back at least. He chips it. Yeah. Like, he doesn't stick his leg through it at all. It's like casual as anything. He's on his correct foot. It's not yeah. like he's never wrong. He's, on, made he's on the other foot to kick the walk up when he dropped goal. It's very true. It's very true. And he just chips it over like, really, really casually. Like he, he isn't really trying to get that at all. And it is the most bad mouth drop goal I've ever seen. And I bloody love it. It's like, a, oh, I'm going to do this myself. Yeah. Fine. It's the moment Wilkins and accept his fate as the only working thing in this England team. Yeah. Of like, he's seen the state of everything at like, he oh, left Jesus the 15 of a full team to it. With. Yeah. To be like, look, you're playing for England. You must have some working qualities. I fought my entire life. I gave up everything, sacrificed everything <laughs> to be good enough to play for England. And you pricks are playing <laughs> here anyway without doing that. And they jog back into their own half and I box like, good idea, Wilco. That's what I was trying to do. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, we're on the same book, we're on the phone, we're yeah. same, same page, same page. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we should have been doing. Yeah, Wilkinson right. would have gone to see Paul McCartney at Glastonbury. He would have. He, he would have loved it. He would have loved it. He'd have such he'd a great then, time. He'd have then talked for like 20 minutes non-stop about uh, how great he was and how like it's really his mindset that allowed him to compete at this level <laughs> for such true. a long time. It's true. And like how he will have spent you know, 20 hours in the studio before writing Can't Buy Me Love, you know. To to, to be that creative for that long a period of time takes mm. a real mindset. And you've really got to, really got to focus in Loads it. of drugs. Yeah. <laughs> you might leave those out. You might look at the sports drinks he sell in Sainsbury's briefly. Oh yeah, I forgot about those. Mm. Remember the, um, the Johnny Wilkinson sausage dog advert? Yes, that was yeah, good. That was, that good. was great. Yeah, was good. Jess Anderson as well. Yeah, of course, of course. But yeah, I just thought that was really funny. <laughs> it's um, a great punchline on it. Yeah. Not long after that, England gets scrum penalty. Wilco slots it. Obviously, they go fourteen ten up, and you're kind of like, do you guys really deserve this? I don't really know. But in fairness to Wilkinson, he's taking the opportunities that come his way. Yeah. Exactly. He is the one thing that's working about the team. He does a really, really lovely kick to get in position for that as well. Yeah. Yeah, he's... Again, I don't want to just repeat the points we made in the previous England episode, but like they are rubbish. Wilkinson is great. And it gets them in the lead. And then Tonga have a chance to strike right back. And I think it's the moment that the game turns. Comes very, very quickly yes. out of nowhere. So Tonga once again just go, well, it worked for his last time. Should we give it to Suku Fanga? And Suku Fanga bowls Tate over and makes 
this massive break, goes sort of 30 yards up the up the pitch and gets Tonga up to just outside the 22, I'd say. Mm. And they have a few pick and goes to get just inside the 22. And at this point, it's an interesting one where you go, tactically, what do you do here? Mm. Do you take maybe three points, go for a drop goal and reduce it to one at half time? Or do you keep it with the forwards, see if you can rumble it up a little bit? Or do you try something a little less predictable? Which is what Tonga do. They yes. look to play wide. They crash it up. They're maybe like 18, 17 metres out mm. of the try line. They're starting to get close. They're starting to build real momentum. They go to clear out. They secure the ball. And everything kind of goes pear-shaped. Yes. So they then look to attack the left-hand side. The issue for Tilplotu is there's like eight forwards all in his way. Yeah. Uh, that are all stood there between in the nine ten channel. So he has to pick it up and then send it to Holler. And he does a perfectly good job there. And... God bless him. I think he's a brilliant player. I think he's had an amazing World Cup. Holler's pass is absolutely honking here as he leaves Joseph Vacker for dead a little bit. Joseph Vacker goes to pick up this pass. Mm. It's on his bootstraps and he spills it along the floor. And unfortunately for Vacker and for Tonga, just lurking next to that pass is Paul Saki. The quickest man on the field. Yeah. Yeah, and say what you like about Paul Saki, like in a foot race where he's got 80 metres to go, he's bloody good. He's the one you want. Yeah. Everyone on the field, he's the one you want. There's a couple of moments where you see Tonga starting to catch up with him as he's going, and they never really have a chance. No, yeah. I mean, he is racing Bungalilo, for Christ's sake. Yeah. He isn't the quickest man, but yeah, he outstrips him in, it's a straight foot race in a perfectly straight line for the, yeah. for the corner. Joseph Vacker makes up some decent ground on him, but he's starting with like a 30 metre Head yeah, start. yeah. So and he Vac doesn't is, get anywhere close. Vac is having to recover from trying to pick up that pass as well, yeah. and then turning around to try and chase him. Like it's a nightmare. And so Saki just goes the whole way. And as you say, that completely changes the game at that point. Yeah. England go into half time, nineteen ten up, having been the worst team for pretty much the entire half. Yeah. But thanks to some opportunities from Johnny Wilkinson and then from Paul Saki. Yeah. The two of them have turned this game single handedly. Yeah. 14 10, you back Tonga to win this game. Yeah. Even though they're four points behind. 19 10 just feels like too much. If you're dropping a different play- if you're dropping, say, Ollie Barkley as a secretary of 10 mm. into the fly half shirt and you're putting, I don't know, Dan Hipkiss in the centre who's on the bench in for Wilkinson, I don't think England win this game. Mm. They're cer- I think they're certainly going in behind at half time. Yeah. For sure, for sure. It's yeah, no. Without without Wilkinson and Saki, as you say, making the bring up those few big moments, they're not scoring a point here. No, I mean, yeah, you you've got the opportunity with the Saki try, right? But that'd be to keep the minute, I think, rather than to yeah. put them solidly ahead. Exactly, exactly. It's it completely changed the such a different game now. Of the game. Such a different game. So yeah, half time goes. Teams then come back up for the second half. Weirdly, just after kick off. There's a mid-game wine advert starts playing on the yeah. YouTube clip. Don't know if you noticed that. No. But whilst the ball is in play, for some reason, the shot starts showing a graphic of some wine cool. being poured. Just, just thought I should Good. throw it out it's there. France in it. Yeah. French World Cup. Yep. Excited for that later this year. There's an incident we touched on earlier at the start of the second mm. half, which I think we should probably address. Yes. The Lewis Moody incident. The Lewis Moody incident. Now, before we get to that, mm. it's worth also noting, about one minute into the game... Lewis Moody put himself out by going for a charge down on Vungalilo. Yes. And got his head in the way of Vungalilo's leg, right? Would have probably been HIA'd these days, and I imagine he would have got passed to play on. No. No. So, Progressive Rugby, who are the organisation very much leading at the forefront 
on concussion, changing yeah. rugby laws on concussion, really lobbying World Rugby and the member unions in order to update their concussion protocols and so on to very reflect what we know about concussion. They're not pushing to be extreme. Yeah. They're pushing it to reflect what we now know as a scientific kind of community about concussion that we didn't know when rugby's laws were written. Sure. Or when rugby professionalised. Yeah. Wanting to update yeah. and modernise it. They made a list of the five most shocking, the worst incidents, the worst concussions, the sports scene. Okay. Right? It's more based on the incident of what happened around it than the actual yeah. impact of the concussion. Sure. So there's some like, Jamie Roberts fractured his skull and got concussed and carried on playing. And, you know, there's, there's some like that where maybe the impact is worse. Of course. But in terms of what happened, right? This Lewis Moody incident was rated as the second worst in rugby's history. So the latter one or the charge down in the first half? Lewis Moody in this game. Wow. Lewis Moody in this game. So as I say, I reckon there is a chance that after that first one, mm. he may have been passed to come back on. Yeah. However, after what happens here with Neely Latu, there is not a chance that either of them should play on. Because Latu, to set the scene, and I'll let you describe it again afterwards, right? But to set the scene, Latu runs towards Moody, who's the first receiver mm. off a line out. And Latu runs up, and as Moody kind of dips for the contact, Latu two-footed jumps into him. Yeah. And seemingly managed to simultaneously collide his knee and his shoulder with Lewis Moody's head. Yes. So, I just... So he'd been knocked out cold in the first minute, Moody. He was unconscious in the first minute. That's horrible. He should have been taken off. Yeah. Second time, that incident you mentioned there, he was knocked out again. He was knocked out cold twice in that game and went on to play again. Where he then takes a third knock to the head later in the match. He plays the full 80 minutes, doesn't he? He plays the full 80 minutes. It's genuinely... It's the point of not being ridiculous, being disgusting. Yeah. For context around that list that Progressive Rugby published, right? The other instances on that list that this is above include the 2004 Heineken Cup, Lawrence Delalio and Paul Volley, of a Wasp player, both collide on the pitch, clash their heads together. Phil Vickery had to put Volley into the recovery position. He was out for five minutes. Fuck. Delalio at half time had to be led to the tunnel because he couldn't tell where it was. Right? Fuck. Uh, you have the Tom Francis incident from the other year that I think people remember. That was awful. That which was, was awful. awful. You had George Smith being brought on in the Lions test in 2013. Of course. And then you have this at number two as the second worst co-impression incident ever. You know, or at least... You know, yeah. relative to whatever. The number one incident, right, was a 14-year-old player who died. Oh, my God. That's just to put this in context of how badly handled this was. Right? By the way, Joe Worsley is left on the bench for the entire game. Joe Worsley, who is an open side flanker. Mm. So, at this point, and even if let's pretend the coaches know nothing about concussion and how serious it is, right? Mm. If we give them the most serious benefit of the doubt you can possibly do, which I don't want to do, right? Yeah. The coaches yeah. and the doctors and the captain and everybody else involved, the referee, right? If we give all of them the benefit of the doubt, right? At this point, England on nine points up and you have a British Lions quality open side on the bench yeah. and one of your best and most important players has been knocked out twice. Of course, you do not feel like the balance of the game is in danger if you bring on Joe Worsley. Yeah, exactly. Not so, that at all relevant. Brian Ashton was asked about this afterwards. Okay. And he said that... Remember, his line was the player knows best, and Lewis said he was fine to continue. So he Lewis Moody's a maniac. That's the thing. Lewis Moody was famous for being mad and not looking after his own body. Something he's now on record saying he regrets. 
Yeah. Because he didn't yeah. listen to doctor's advice. He didn't listen to physio's advice. The other thing he does in this game is there's a point where the ball uh, spills out of a scrum mm. and he slides miles to get on it. Yeah. Right? And clearly he has no idea or no care mm. for whether there was anybody around him to kind of swarm him or also diving yeah. on the ball. Because that's the kind of player he was. And you know what? He was really good at that. Like yeah. charge downs and tackles and jackals and that kind of thing. He was a brilliant player. It's the He's one of the players you go to when you talk about players that like... Absolutely had no care for their own body. Yeah. Lewis Moody's one of the first players that comes and to mind. In terms of the most committed players of all time, he outshines in that list mm. so much kind of more, kind of almost disproportionate to how good a player he was. No yeah. disrespect. Like yeah, he was yeah, a, yeah. an amazing player. World class at times, right? But he was on record, as you say, of being one of the most committed body on the line players ever. And boy, that took its toll. So Lewis Moody's wife, Annie Moody, okay. was so used to him getting concussions that she had a protocol for the night that she would follow. So England let him stay with his wife overnight rather than go back to the team okay, hotel okay. that night so that she could take him through the protocol of putting him to bed, oh making God. sure he went to bed in comfortable sand. And then she would wake him up at least once every hour so that he didn't slip anywhere because this was just kind of... That's what they recommend you yeah. do, isn't it? Like you wake him every like an hour. An NHS list would, would tell you to yeah. do that. So she had to stay and wake him up every hour. What a hour. fucking legend Danny Moody is, by the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Might give her man of the match in a bit. However, yeah, she did say afterwards, this was like years down the line, that she's so glad she didn't know what she knows now in many ways. Oh, she said, to, to know what I know now, it terrifies me to think how much, how much damage that second hit could have done. Yeah. Um, to know that second hit could have been it. Because yeah. there is a world in which that second hit, having had that, or if he played on and he got hit, you know, like he gets a minor kind of knock to the head afterwards where he goes down for like a disproportionate amount of time for like how hard he's hit. Yeah. Because understandable, if he was hit with any degree again, it genuinely could have killed him. Yeah. Like we could have been, this could have been the game where Lewis Moody died on the field because he was so badly mismanaged. And I know the game is adapting We've now. We've come a long, long way since then, but, but we have such a long way to go. Yeah. Like, you still see these happening. Like, the Tom Francis incident that's on this list was only from a couple of years ago. And I think that's maybe why it's on there. It was last year, even. Yeah. It was 18 months ago. Yeah. Like, that's maybe why it's on the list. Because people are just avoiding it, even though we have HOs in place now. And people are aware of this. Mm. Like, it just has to be taken seriously. And it's progressive rugby do fantastic work around yeah. this area and forcing this and allowing this to become a more... It's amazing how we could, have, but... we could have glossed over that. But they've really yeah. illuminated that there. Yeah. And we wouldn't have, you know, glossed over it. But like we had the thing with Marius Tinku earlier in the tournament, yeah. where we have no idea what the effect of the impact of that yeah. concussion is. Whereas that tells you what the real, the person Lewis Moody, rather than the rugby player Lewis Moody, went through yeah. and his family. Yeah. Like that's it's as you say, it's disgusting. Yeah, what happened? He was knocked out cold twice. Yeah, and also like I love the guy as a player. I think he's phenomenal, a brilliant mm. captain, had an amazing tournament. I have no judgment towards him. But fucking El Nilo needed a red card for that. Yeah. Like, the fact that at that point he was told to keep it down, you know, rather oh, God, than, yeah. like, having the, the active repellent that is red cards that are getting dished out these days. And look, there's a small period of time where people look at it and go, oh, the game's gone soft, bloody, uh, it's not very nice to watch red cards ruin games. It's like, so what? Eventually, players will learn to tackle properly and you won't see these red cards. The other thing is, right, like, having been in stadiums the last two years, mm. right, you're constantly at rugby ground, surrounded by old men who would, you know, have those views and whatever. All of them are now calling for everything to be a red card. Yeah. Like, it has swung in the other direction. Like, yeah. people have moved on from it. People are over the kind of game which is soft good. thing. Which yeah, is they're now like, in the right direction. People have learned that any head contact is a card now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know... Yeah, you, it's you, just... It's yeah. A conversation that 
I know it's been had before. I know it will be had again. And I know we have moved a long way since 2007. For sure. But also, like, we need to continue talking about this, otherwise yeah. it doesn't move forward. And that is, that is a disgusting incident. It is. I think we should park it there. Yeah. And I feel like maybe giving Ollie Barkley dick of the day was uh, an overreaction. Yeah. <laughs> we'll review that shortly. Yes. We'll review that shortly. Felice time! Felice comes on. Pretty much around that moment. And honestly, it's the best thing to ever happen. Felice comes on, wins a turnover on his yes. first touch, like his first involvement of the entire game. Wins a turnover, which is not something that Foul Felice was known for. And then he gets a bloody nose and just goes straight back off again. And you know what Foul Felice was known for? What? Being lovely. Yes, and he is definitely that. Having both him and Kissy Pulu as your props. Oh, I love Kissy Pulu though. Yeah, they're great. They're great. Those two are yeah, two wonderful a, humans. It's a bit of a cameo. The commentator yeah. does take time to go, oh, this is Taufal Felicity. Yeah. And good on him. What a special moment for him to play in the Rugby World Cup for the first time. <laughs> yep. He does come back on later. He though, does. He so. does. It's great when you get to celebrate Felicity coming on twice in one yes. game. Just packing his, as many Rugby World but Cup appearances in as he can. Gets to come on at tight head and loose head. Yeah. It's quite exciting. And does like, him and Casey Pulu swap who's playing loose head yeah. when they're both on? And I really like that. Holler kicks a penalty to put them back in touch, though. Yes, he does, which is quite a big moment. Yeah. Potentially. Puts it to 13-19, so Tonga back within seven points, which is fair. Yeah. Even in the second half, I think England start to lean far more into their strengths. Clearly, Brian Ashton has completely ignored the Lewis Moody incident in order to try and work out, like, oh, what if we just... Le- you know how more went really well? What if we just stop mauling everything? You know how kicking game's going well? What if we just kick everything? Yeah. yeah. And so the game becomes almost unwatchable in the second half. But... England playing much like better it. rugby. You know, yeah. like it's yeah, it's less entertaining to watch, but it is of a higher standard because one team is playing to their strengths now. Yes, and they're actively trying to tie Tonga out, yeah. which is clearly working. You know, that they're, they're immensely physical, but that's yeah, you know, at that point when you're 60 minutes in and you, the brain fog starts to set in, that's kind of all they have left. It all really sets in when Mark Cueto makes a subtle oh break. Oh my god. Makes that break and he's clearly just allergic to scoring. Yep. He sort of just like completely bombs it. Also doesn't give the pass to someone who definitely would have scored. Yeah. It's like, it's an utter mess. It's just quite all over. However, England do recycle. They get it right out of the other way. And who should be there? But Mr. Matthew Tate. He just kind of fancies scoring, doesn't yeah. he? Like there's not, I don't really know how, what he does to score. He just kind of gets the ball and goes, oh, well, might as well. He just looks up and he's like, oh, there's trial line's 10 metres away. I'll just pop there. Yeah. I'll just pop in, you know? It's like when you pass in a Tesco and you're thirsty and you're like, I might as well get a drink. Yeah. He's like that, but with a try. He's like, oh, sure. I might as well score. Sure. Yeah, and fair play. Good on you, Matthew Tate. Yeah. All power to you. There's a fun point where Ipitoni swats Andy Farrell away, which is hilarious considering Andy Farrell's now like the world's best defence coach. <laughs> yes. It's just really funny seeing Andy Farrell getting taken to the Hurt Arena. It's a rarity. Straight off the kickoff after that Tate try, Nick Easter makes a break and gives it to Matthew Tate again, who's off. And you think, oh, great, this is going to happen all over again. And all I've just put is England do some bullshit and it involves Paul Saki. Don't really know what happens, but they do some bullshit. Yeah, Paul Saki scores a second try. He's already nope, scored two he's tries. He's scored two tries. <laughs> they just do that. some bullshit. Yeah. yeah, Paul Saki. No, Paul Saki bombs a try. Paul Saki bombs a try. He bombs a try, doesn't he? That's it. He like normal services resume. Like he's been he's been good for like a game and a half. Yeah. Like he's got to get back to it now. He's yeah. got to get back to being Paul Saki. Back on his bullshit. Yeah. Fair play. The other important thing that happens around here, just as Tonga is starting to tire, Suga Hufang goes off injured, who has yes. been one of their best players. And 
him going off and they bring on Hudson Tonguea who's a really good replacement to mm. have and like I'm not sure if some people have ever talked about this podcast I'm not sure he went to 2011 yeah okay but you know perfectly adequate replacement but nothing on Hufanga the form he's on no no really good spell for London Welsh yeah Hudson Tonguea really really direct centre love the pick and go mm. as a centre Something he had in common with his brother, Sawani, who was at loose head for Tonga. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's not quite of the same calibre as Hufanga, especially sure. in this kind of form. Yeah. England, though, do make a big substitution in that they bring on the man that they have been hyping up so much. <laughs> yes, this guy. This guy they've flown out, specially. You know, imagine imaginary rugby players. Is this guy one of them? He's one of them. He's one of them. He's one of them. So as Martin Corrie crosses back over the white line in order to go and have a few words with Jack and Maria, yeah. who should come on but tempted by the white line? Lawrence Delalio. Hello, Delalio. Lawrence Bruno Nero Delalio. Of course. I'll tell you what, we've spoken so much about Lawrence Delalio on this series of the podcast and we've finally seen him play rugby. Yeah. How mad is that? I mean, have we seen him play rugby? We've seen him come onto the pitch. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He doesn't do anything, does he? He does literally nothing. <laughs> he plays like 15 minutes, but yeah, still. that's still enough time to do some rugby. That's very true. It's very true. 17 minutes is enough time. Also, there's a point where the commentator says, and I genuinely have no idea what he means by this, one of the men who's got a face, Steve Borthwick. <laughs> He's not wrong. <laughs> He's, He's not wrong. A face. But I have no clue why he felt the need to specify that he has a face. Because, fun stat, so do the other 29 players no way. and the officials. Jack and Maria don't. Jack and Maria don't yet. <laughs> fan art. In the yes. <laughs> Alongside your Deacon Manu fan fiction. Oh, no. We don't want to turn him on too much. This is not a horny podcast. No, it's not a horny fo- podcast. Andy Farrell scores that try that yeah, we've already we talked spoke, about before. spoken about it. No problem. Uh, the it. first time we've seen Andy Farrell do something good in an England shirt, according to the commentators. Hey, oh, grow up. Um, they then... Also, it's really funny how in the stadium they play a hard day's night when Andy Farrell scores. And it's just like, but there's something really funny about Andy Farrell scoring and them playing like happy, cheery Beatles music <laughs> afterwards. Like, he doesn't care for that Do shit. You think they just went, oh, he's from like, he's from Wigan. Where's that? Is that, is that, is that Liverpool way? Yeah. Is that Liverpool? Yeah, it's pretty much. And then Ollie Barker was like, I fucking hate this. What's yeah. this? Turn this shit off. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Where's my missus? She's still in there. Yeah, I thought so. Jack, get Maria in the changing rooms. Learn to kick a drop goal, you prick. <laughs> <laughs> I then have um, written down Dan Hipkiss World Cup, but no, no, let's not go no. there. So, can we talk about Dan Hipkiss going onto the bench? Dan Hipkiss plays a game of rugby for England in the World Cup. So, Dan Hipkiss runs onto the pitch, right? The commentators call him Danny Hipkiss every time, yeah. so maybe I will as well. Yeah, right. Please tell me you're not about to read out some AI about Dan Hipkiss. <laughs> no. So Danny Hipkiss runs onto the pitch. I'm just going to call him Danny Hipkiss. Dan Hipkiss runs onto the pitch. And he's on there. He comes on, right? We see him come on. About a minute and a half later, there's another stoppage in play. And we cut back and we see Dan Hipkiss again with his back to the camera. So we can see the number 22 on his shirt. And the commentator says, we just want to go down to Robbie Knock for a moment. <laughs> Robbie, would I be right in assuming... Danny Hipkiss has come on to the pitch. <laughs> and Robbie Knox says, yes, he has. He's come on in the number 22 shirt. We've seen this twice now. <laughs> and the commentator says, excellent. I thought so. <laughs> they bring on Danny Hipkiss and Peter Richards on the wings. 
Yes. And that's hilarious. Peter Richards is not a real rugby player, by the way. I made him up. No, exactly. I mean, he is, but he's a different one from the 80s. Yeah. So Peter Richards, the scrum half, comes in on the wing. And I don't know why he's doing that. They could take Andy Gomes off. <laughs> <laughs> it's right there in front of you, lads. <laughs> You've got the option there, guys. Johnny Wilkinson scores a drop goal. Let's just talk about that. Yeah, I mean, he does. It's... Like, seals the game, doesn't he? It completely buries Tonga. Yeah. Look, we've pissed about the last 20 minutes here, but Wilco properly just goes, no, we're, we're winning this, we're going through to the quarterfinal, and just, you know, takes his team yeah. through. Fair play, takes responsibility. It takes it to a point in which they need, like, f- five tries or something to score, and you know what? I'm not giving the mods on that. Yeah, and that's that's fair enough. That's fair enough. So it takes England out to a 36-13 lead. Um, which is comprehensive. Very Which is like, that's beyond three tries. Three tries isn't enough. Yeah. And there's nine minutes remaining. Yeah, exactly. Forget about it. And not much else happens in the game, really. Fungalilo picks a great line. Yes. And then somehow doesn't score. Yeah, he bombs that. He does a great job of bombing that try. What else? Felisa gets the ball. Yes. important. Love it. And there's also, there's an, okay, there's one other moment that we get to this the second moment. Yeah, yeah. So there's a great bit where there's a Tonga make a break. And they're steaming downfield. England are like reverting to get back in the defensive line. And Andrew Sheridan isn't. He just kind of hangs oh, yes. around. Yes. And he's just stood there in the middle of the tongue and attack. Like he's given up on trying to reverse gear. And the England players are like, what are you doing, Andy? Get back. Get back. You've got to be bloody onside. And he said, like, well, that hasn't been a ruck. So Tonga just throw the ball right to him. <laughs> and he just catches it, just like shrugs. He literally catches the ball and shrugs. Yeah. Like, okay. Do I just carry on now? Right. And the ref's like, yeah, if you want. And the England players are like, you dickhead, you've given away a penalty for being offside. He's like, no, I'm, it's open play. I'm fine. Yeah. There's no ruck. No ruck, sir. It's a great moment. This is a tactic that England should deploy one day. <laughs> yeah, England should deploy that. Mike Cat watched that and was yeah. like, hang on a second. Let me write this down and I'll get back to you on this. Yeah. Give me like 10 Nine years. years. <laughs> yeah. I'll give this a go. <laughs> then we get to the last play of the yes. game. Right. And... Tonga finds themselves a bit of an overlap, and they go for it. Nili Latu has a lot of time on the ball, perhaps too much time on the ball, <laughs> yes, I would say. and gives the ball at the very last moment to Hale Tepole outside him. A man not known for his speed, but he goes for it. He goes for the slide from about the 22-metre line. Yeah, he's figured out what Saki and Hufanga both yeah. had. It's a potentially disastrous finish that I think he gets away with. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, he does not get this right, ta- technically or tactically. I refuse to call it a good finish. Me too. Because he shouldn't have gone for it. And yeah, technically it is. Yeah. The best finish he can do is just run straight into the other guy and it'll bounce him. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. But instead he goes for, like, the, the nippy small guys, like, try and wheel around him and, like, skid early, mm. go low, early fine. It's like, I no, you're think... hardly to pole. You're, you're in the team to knock people out. Yeah. I think too many players go low too early. Mm. I think this is like a thing that gets talked up as a good thing. I don't think it is, but that's a whole other deal. Yeah, he goes low too early, but he gets away with it because he's bloody massive and they can't knock him off. Of course, yeah, clearly exactly. enough, like you know, like you can see an iceberg like skid along at that speed, and you can try and give it a shove to put it out. But good luck, good luck to you, son. Exactly, exactly. So he scores, he finishes it. Hollis slots the conversion of the sidelines in absolute beauty, and. and then- Tonga have gone out, I think, on a a bit of a mixed note. Yes, they have. It's worth noting, by the way, at both half-time and full-time, Andy Gomesol kicks the ball out to take both at the end of both halves and gets booed for both of them. Yeah. <laughs> Which is hilarious. Just couldn't have happened to anyone else, I don't think. But 
We say goodbye to Tonga. We do indeed. Very nice. We've got proper sound system this time. Oh, yes. The anthem. Beautiful. This is arguably the best Tonga team they've ever brought to a Rugby World Cup. They actually go on to cause an upset the following one. Yeah. Um, and obviously they've got the upset against Australia 50 years ago this week, as we record it, actually. Oh, wow. Like in the 70s, in 73. However, this is like the most competitive and the closest Tonga we've ever got to getting out of the pool side, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think enough, the other times they pulled off a fluke win because they've had good players. This is like a good squad that are well coached. I really th- tight. Really, really good fun to watch. Yeah, this might be the greatest Tonga team ever. It's certainly yeah. up there. Certainly in the pressure era or at Rugby World Cups. Yeah. Like, this is such a huge team full of superstars. I think we've spoken so much about Kissy Pulu and Leki Lutui and the influence those guys yeah. have had. And I think, for me, those two are the heartbeat of the team, alongside Neely Latu and Finau Maka. Yeah, and they carry this team so brilliantly. Maka's been absolutely enormous. Obviously, drafted him for this tournament especially. The arms is on a loop, yes. Yeah. And it's just been such a huge kind of... I know he isn't the captain, but it's just a huge leadership yeah. figure for them. You can see how he becomes the captain at the next World Cup, though, yeah. can't you? And then Latu gets it again at the one after that. like And Latu, likewise, like just enormous, just everywhere. One of those guys that is quite... Is massive for a small guy. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, he's yeah, like yeah. Superb. Much the same as Suku Hufanga. Yes. Like, who obviously I'm obsessed with. I think this is the last time we're going to be able to talk about him in a Rugby World Cup. Listeners are probably sick of me just wanking <laughs> over him every time he gets any involvement, but I just think he's incredible. Um, word for their front row as well. Yeah. Swan Tongawea, Aleki Lutui, Kissy Pulu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like firm as anything Tonga Weir hasn't yet evolved into the like, absolute monster beef in Northampton in about two years time yes yes but, but we can see it coming from Lutui and Pulu are like quietly world class in this world Pulu, cup like, I think Lutui is maybe second to Ipi Tayoni for playing the tournament for me you think Tayoni I think Tayoni actually at Latu yeah and Maka I don't know They're I think I'll go for Tayoni just because of the sheer like punch he adds yeah like so many as well have a really inspiring leadership type back rower mm. who gets for a lot of work, makes huge moments, right? The thing that sets Tonga apart is the other stuff. It's a hooker who works as hard as uh, Aleki Lutui, who isn't necessarily the captain. No. In the Proper way. leader, though. Yeah, but is a kind of extra leadership figure. And it's someone with a sheer punch in the background, Tayoni. Yeah. Huge. You saw them get the lead in this game because of that. Yeah. It's, yeah, he's a huge, huge figure for them. And a word for, and his last campaign of international rugby yes. Pierre Holler yes yes, um, yes he's a player I think we've both been really excited to actually watch back yeah. because we both grew up with him on Rugby 04 and knew that he was like a legendary Tonga 10 yeah. and I think he's lived up to the hype like, yeah. I think we'll probably see him a bit more in his prime in 03 when we get to that but I just think he's a fantastic controlling 10 and I really really like him as a player absolutely he's just a <laughs> this is <getting> ridiculous <laughs> last one okay but yeah like Holds almost every record for Tonga in terms of mm. most appearances for a back. Oh no, he was at one point most appearances. Sure. Not anymore. But top point scorer, most points in one match. He got 44 points against South Korea wow. in qualifying for this tournament. Okay. And yeah, it was just like such a huge, huge guy for them. Yeah. Because he was their most sensible player they've ever produced. Yeah. <laughs> just a absolutely superb player. And beautiful to have watched Cecilia Tupelosi's dad and realised yes. where she gets the genes from because he is first class absolutely absolutely so, should we say goodbye to Tonga there we should probably leave Tonga be they've been a treat to watch they've been a joy they they've have. been everything what a else. team what a bloody team 
But let's look at Man of the Match and Dick of the Day, shall let's we? Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, my yeah. Dick of the Day is Ollie Barkley. And you know what? I don't regret it. You've spoken for 20 minutes on that. Yeah. Fair enough. We'll leave that there. There's a really funny moment in the first half where Pierre Holler takes a mark, passes to Vunga Lilo, stood right next to him, and Lilo drops it. Oh, which yeah. Which is really tragic. Barkley's up there, but I have to mention Nick Easter. You know why I'm about to mention Nick Easter, oh, don't you? Oh, of course. We didn't talk about this. However, somehow the second most embarrassing thing, one of the worst things I've seen on a rugby pitch, up there rivaling Ollie Barkley, right? There's a point where Tonga kicked the ball and Nick Easter is in the backfield. It happens, number eight, seven in the backfield. It's a good option to have. Good to give him a run up to charge the defence. And then he shapes to go for an up and under. And I go, right, this is going to end quite badly because... Sometimes it works. Sometimes mm. you find number eights who are really good kickers and because they have massive legs, you know, yeah. they're going to put their foot through the ball. But Nick Easter is not one of those. He drops the ball and then goes for the kick and it leaves his foot and you go, oh my God, he's chipping it. Like he's intending for an up and under. You can tell by his body language he's going for an up and under here. And instead it ends up like as a quick tap yeah. that a nine would do. And it ends at about his chest height. He catches it himself and then just runs into the nearest guy. So the fact he gets away with it is the reason why I'm giving him dick of the day. <laughs> because that was fucking dog shit, mate. It's like he saw Ben Kay's one in the South Africa game. Yes, and thought, oh yeah, I've got to do something yeah. worse than that. You can make a great well, compilation. I can't do any worse, can't you? Yeah, you've got to make a compilation of like really shit kicks that uh, England have done in this tournament because... It'll be everything domain that isn't Wilkinson. Yeah, yeah. So, and look, speaking- Ollie Barkley is the dick of the day, obviously, yeah. but Nick Easter for me. Okay, okay, I understand, I understand. Moving on to, speaking of Johnny Wilkinson, uh, he is my man of the match again. Fucking hell, hard pick, isn't it? <laughs> like, like, I I think, there's like despite everything, Lewis Moody has a solid game. Paul yeah. Saki has a good first half, and then he's kind of like a disaster in the yeah, second. Paul Saki he's does a reverse, play He's like the anti-England, because like the rest of the England team are... I've- I've given Saki a sympathy mention um, and Hufanger, obviously. Yeah, I think up. Hufanger and Tyone in the centres for Tonga are yeah, huge. Latu as well. He's yeah. superb. And Lutui, once Lutui's again. Lutui's always amazing. I was about to mention him, yeah. But, but mate, I'm agreeing with your look, Wilkinson. this game is decided because Johnny Wilkinson's really, really good at rugby. Yeah. And the other England players are just there. England are a like, complete and utter shit heap and Johnny Wilkinson holds them together which makes them the, win a test match. Yeah, whichever of the two teams had Johnny Wilkinson wins this game. Yeah, exactly, exactly. If you drop Wilkinson, if you swap the fly halves, nothing against Pierre Holler, you drop the fly halves, put Wilkinson at 10 for Tonga, they win this game. Yeah, there's, I can't really say much good about England that isn't a, some kind of consequence of something Johnny Wilkinson's doing. Yeah, yeah he's by his such a long way the man of the match. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Please come back next time when we'll be looking at the USA against the Samoa. Yes, that's very exciting. Yes, and we'll see. We're hoping to have a guest, but we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. Yeah, we will. It might not happen. Who knows? In the meantime, I hope all of you have wonderful, wonderful times, and I hope Jack and Maria visit an orphanage (laughs) near you. Yes. Goodbye. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.